Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 3rd, 2022, including... IDOS Montreal may be working on Fable alongside the Forza Horizon developer. Game Pass missed its internal subscriber goal from Microsoft. Phil Spencer finally confirms that Call of Duty will permanently remain on PlayStation and more. And on this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, Dragon Age Origins released on the Xbox 360. I uh, Actually, the only Dragon Age game I've ever played was the 2014 entry Dragon Age Inquisition, which was uh, subsequently, or, or which is also notably the last Dragon Age we ever got. Uh, of course, they are working on the new Dragon Age game that has just been in development for ever and ever and ever. Last week we learned that it's actually an alpha build, so it looks like we might be seeing this game in maybe about a year or so. I don't know. But yeah, Dragon Age Origins. I always forget the the drama around Dragon Age. What, what is it? It's like people love 1 and 2 but hate Origins? Or what? how does that go? I don't remember. There's, I don't know. There's Dragon Age, Dragon Age 2, Dragon Age Origins, and Dragon Age Inquisition. Am I right in that? And then people hate... Maybe it's the second one they hate. I don't know. There's a Dragon Age game they all hate, but then the other ones are apparently really good. I don't know. I got bored of Dragon Age Inquisition after like 30 minutes of it. I was really excited to try and give it a, a fair shake, but it's okay. Not every game is for everyone. I know there are Dragon Age people out there. Listen, if you guys just hang on an extra 20, 40 years max, you might even get your next Dragon Age game. So keep looking up. That's all I got to say to you guys. Welcome to Xbox On. It's a podcast all about all things Xbox, except Dragon Age apparently where I just have a massive blind spot that honestly I don't even feel bad about. But hey... Let's talk about some games that actually matter. Guys, we're in the busy season. We're in the thick of the busy season of the year. Call of Duty just came out. We're about to talk about that in a little bit. It's doing record-breaking numbers. People playing it left and right. Gotham Knights is getting a lot of attention, even though there is some negativity surrounding it. It's still a huge game. You know, A Plague Tale, all these games, just tons and tons of stuff out right now. But I do want to just say, because between this episode going live... This Thursday, and then next week's show on the 9th, or the sorry, on the 10th, rather, very, very special game is going to come out, and uh, we're not, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk about it on release day, because the podcast won't be until two days after, but I just want to, I just want to give this game a special shout out as we enter the last Xbox On podcast that will ever happen before this game comes to market. Guys, I'm of course talking about none other than what is undoubtedly going to be the game of the year, the greatest game of the 2020s. Sonic Frontiers, if, uh, you know, where's the blowhorn sound? We need the blowhorn sound effect. Guys, Sonic Frontiers out Tuesday, November 8th. If you are anything like me, you are absolutely shitting your pants right now. I am on a media blackout. They keep posting new music. I refuse to listen to it. They keep posting new information, new screenshots, all this stuff. I refuse to do it. I just don't want anything to do with it. Listen, Sonic Frontiers, I cannot wait to play you, but I must wait until the proper release to experience you so I can come in with fresh eyes. I'm telling you right now, Sonic Frontiers, I'm actually feeling pretty good about it. I, up until 
recently, I was like, and it's it's Sonic, right? It's like I'm gonna love it. A lot of Sonic fans are gonna love it. A lot of Sonic fans are gonna bitch and moan because all they care about is Sonic Adventure. And then uh, the media is probably gonna give it like a I don't know average score of like a five or a six out of ten, right? But I'm starting to feel strangely optimistic. I feel like Sonic Frontiers might be. It might be one of the higher-regarded and higher-reviewed 3D Sonic games of recent history. I know it's not necessarily saying much, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put it I'm gonna I'm gonna make this claim right now. We're less than a week out. I'm gonna say Sonic Frontiers is gonna get a Metacritic average of a 68. That's gonna be its critic critic review. It's gonna be maybe a 66. Uh, I'm gonna go with a 68. That's much higher than what I thought it was. I if you asked me if you asked me maybe even a month ago, I would have probably said eh. Somewhere between like a 55 and a 60. Now I'm I'm feeling a little I'm feeling a little bullish about this one. I think 68, that's where I'm gonna put my uh my claim. Now for me, I'm sure this is gonna probably be like a 12 out of 10. Don't get me wrong, I love Sonic, but you 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 know how people are. If it if it doesn't have Mario or Zelda or Kratos or one of the popular gaming characters, it's got they don't love Sonic. They just don't have enough respect for my boy in blue, thankfully. My, my boy Sonic has been, had a little bit of a renaissance in recent years, of course. I'm sure many of you are well aware of the surprisingly not bad Sonic movies and all, all the rest. But, God, I'm just so looking forward to this. And, you know, I'll stop there because I know many of you guys are like, God, God damn, Jesse, we don't care about Sonic. But I'm, I'm telling you guys, if you if you choose to play God of War Ragnarok over Sonic Frontiers, I'm not, I'm not saying you're mentally deficient, but you are a fucking moron if you don't play Sonic Frontiers over God of War uh, Ragnarok, of course, very similar games, very similar audiences. I'm absolutely sure of it, but you got to choose the greater good, and Sonic is no doubt the greater good in this case. Guys, stop talking about Sonic. Let's stop sucking his. Uh, does Sonic have a penis? Does Sonic, are we are we jerking off Sonic's wiener by speaking so favorably of him? I'm not sure. Let's not let's not dwell on that too much because it's probably an answer we don't want to know. Let's let's get into this week's corrections, stories of mild amusement, updates. You know, things from last week. We got we got a decent slew of things to talk about here, but first I do want to start with, I guess something you could call a correction. I don't consider this a correction, but I for some reason when I was making the notes felt like this is the place to put this. Uh, we got a write-in from Arsenic Steel, first-time writer. Unless maybe this is someone who's written in before under a new name, I don't know, maybe. But Arsenic Steel writes in, and just gotta say, Arsenic, thank thank you for writing in. I appreciate any you know first-time writers. Very much appreciate it. I appreciate you listening to the show. Like I always say, whether you say something nice or something mean or something in between, I'm just glad you're here and I appreciate the support. And uh, anyway, Arsenic Steel writes in and says, quote, Microsoft has FU money. They can sustain anything. Later, quote, Microsoft just laid off one th- over 1,000 employees. I guess sustaining those employees was over the line. Making a movie is faster and requires fewer people than making a game, question mark. Do you look at the credits of a movie? Do you realize recording, editing, and releasing of a movie isn't a six-month process, right? Okay, Arsenic Steel, I appreciate you writing in. I think you, uh, first of all, for people who are confused as hell because this comment makes no sense on its own without the context, it's just, this is a lot of, you're criticizing and, and, and pulling out quotes from things I said last week and kind of holding them against me, and that's, that's fine, I, whatever. You know, I'm probably wrong about a lot of things, and... I probably am hypocritical a whole lot, so it's fine. It's it's not it's not upsetting. It's okay to have that. But but here's the thing is let's let's tackle this because you there's a couple different points you're making here. This first part about me mentioning how Microsoft has FU money, talking about that was in relation to how it doesn't matter if Game Pass is profitable or not, they can sustain it 
These no words, sustainability and profitability, very different things. There's no reason why Microsoft can't sustain Game Pass because they have FU money. That's what I was talking about. Then later on in the show, I mentioned something about how a couple weeks ago they announced that they had laid off at Microsoft, not just Xbox, Microsoft laid off over a thousand people and how it was just very like distasteful and kind of fuck you Microsoft for doing that because obviously they can afford to not lay people off. So it's pretty shitty. Yeah, man, I, I don't, with all due respect, I don't know if you felt like this was like a caught you in your own hypocrisy or a gotcha moment, but like, I, I still feel like both of those points I was making were pretty, were pretty uh, appropriate for the time because it can be true that Microsoft has FU money and at the same time, they can lay people off because I'm not sure if you, I'm not, you know, I don't know where you're writing in from. Maybe you're not American, uh, but in, in this country, at the very least, um, corporations own and run absolutely everything. And uh, they, they, they don't really give a shit about people. And so if there's an inefficiency in the way something's operated, even if a company has FU money or is insanely profitable and and has no sign of ever financially hurting or slowing down, they, they, they can still do things like lay people off. If they, you know, if they analyze certain ventures or certain aspects of their business and find inefficiencies or redundancies in, in operations, or they find that they're investing in projects or research that they don't find, you know, beneficial to them anymore, it's it stands to reason that a massive corporation like Microsoft could just lay off a bunch of people because they can and because they don't want to spend money just because they have money. And so I just feel like one doesn't necessarily have to do with the other. You know, Game Pass serves a massive purpose for Microsoft. It is their way of basically shoehorning themselves into this next step of the games industry where they see gaming heading with streaming services and streaming games rather than downloading them, playing them natively and with subscribing to game services rather than just buying games all cart they see this as the future of gaming and they want to be at the forefront of that and they have the technology and the minds and the resources and the money to do so so they are shoehorning and brute forcing their way in with the money they have to make this happen there's you know even if they're not making money off game pass today they still have a lot to gain from making this move you know if they if they feel like they have a bunch of teams or various projects they're working on that are a little inefficient or not very useful for the company and they decide to lay off a thousand people that really doesn't have anything to do with the other. They're just trying to maximize efficiency in their company so they can continue to be one of the wealthiest corporations of all time and continue to have a few money and continue to cr do crazy moves like game pass. Like, listen, we can go back and forth all day about whether or not game pass is sustainable versus profitable. I think we're all tired of talking about it at this point, but one thing we cannot argue is that whether it is profitable or isn't only companies like Microsoft, very few companies, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, very few companies in this world outside the ones I just named could ever hope to afford to fund, begin, sustain a, a service like Game Pass. And uh, yeah, a lot of companies don't get that way by just by just playing nice and being like, oh, you guys can have jobs because uh, we'll just continue to pay you because uh, we just like you guys and we're nice. It's like, yeah, corporations suck, dude. <laughs> they make shitty moves all the time. Microsoft is, you know, I, I love Microsoft because I love Surface, I love Xbox, but I'm not afraid to you know criticize this corporation. They they sell technology and equipment to the government so that they can use it in the military and blow up brown people in the Middle East. They fucking lay off people when they're posting record breaking profits. They do tons of shitty shitty terrible things because that's what corporations do. Like I don't I don't I just don't feel like I was got here. Okay, so a little bit of self defense there on my part. And then um, also the other thing is th this whole idea of like movies being more expensive and requiring more talent to make them games. Obviously this is a case by case thing. First of all, like 
yeah, if you're going to compare like a fucking six-man indie team working on some fucking 8-bit Game Pass title, yeah, I guess that's a lot cheaper and a lot less manpower than like making the next fucking Marvel CGI masterpiece. But like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, look at fucking Activision <laughs> making Call of Duty. Modern Warfare 2 just launched... It's making, speaking of FU money, Modern Warfare 2 just launched, it's going nuts. And um, yeah, that game was predominantly developed by Infinity Ward, which is a massive hundreds of hundreds of uh, people. Why, like, I, I don't even know. I, I actually don't know Infinity Ward's size. I know they have multiple studios. They have one in California, and then the other one I think is, I think it, I think they're in Sweden, uh, I think is their other studio. Between those two teams, they probably have close to, if not a thousand employees. Uh, Modern Warfare 2 was also made with the assistance of Treyarch, Sledgehammer, Beanox, all the fucking teams Activision owns, um, Activision Shanghai, the whole publishing team at Activision, the whole marketing team at Activision. I mean, are you going to sit here and tell me that there aren't games that are made by just massive fuck you like teams of people? Because that's absolutely a thing that happens. Assassin's Creed, a game that is famously made usually among two to three different Ubisoft teams between France, Canada, and the U.S. Like, yeah, games have a lot of big AAA games, to be fair. I'm not saying all games do. There are plenty of games that are made with 50-men teams or 100-men teams and things like that. But, you know, there are many, many big games that are made with teams of 500 people, 1,000 people, 1,500 people. Like, And you consider the fact that a lot of games are made over the course of, like, three to six years? Yeah, I, I don't think... Like, dude, it's not that hard. The, the, the numbers are out there. The, the, the math is out there. You can easily see that AAA game development is absolutely more expensive than making fucking another Top Gun movie or another Marvel movie. I'm just, it just, it just is. Like, what do you, what do you want me to say about it? I can't lie. So, Arsenic Steel, I appreciate you writing in, but next time you come to burn me, just make sure you got, you got a little more fuel in the tank. You got, you got something a little spicier, something a little hotter, because I feel like, came in a little weak but i do appreciate you listening i do appreciate you commenting in and most importantly i appreciate your your thumbnail photo or whatever it is your user photo because i it looks like a, the love child between conan o'brien and jimmy neutron i can't figure out what the fuck i'm looking at but i do like that picture so thank you for writing in hope you have a great day and uh let's move on with the stories of mild amusement and updates guys I want to talk about one I'm very excited about. Actually, I'm recording this on Wednesday. This news came out this morning. Finally, we have a release date for a game I'm very much looking forward to, Atomic Heart. Now, if that's a game that's like, hmm, I vaguely remember that, but what, what is that? Remind me, Jesse. Well, Atomic Heart is a game um, being actually developed by a Moscow, I believe they're Moscow-based. I know they're they're Russian. I believe it's Moscow-based dev team Munfish, uh, and they're making this game called Atomic Heart, which was technically announced... God, I want to say it was originally announced like seven years ago or something like that. And then kind of went silent for a while. And then we, we saw it again a few years ago. Anyway, Xbox has been uh, marketing it heavily uh, at like summer showcases and things like that. It's going to be a Game Pass title. So there's a lot of Xbox affiliated marketing. But finally, the game has a release date. It's coming out on February 21st on Xbox One, PC, Xbox Series S and X, and it's a Game Pass Day One release. Now, for those who need a little bit of a like a kind of set, like a little bit of an idea of what this game is, set in an alternate version of 1950s, Atomic Hearts takes place in a Soviet Union in which robots and other advanced technologies were developed during World War II. Robots designed to help humans have since turned against the creators, and a variety of secret experiments have led to an accidental creation of a terif- of terrifying mutants. So this is uh, one of the coolest fucking ideas for a game. I absolutely love this. I've said it once before, and I'll say it again. 
We got a lot of these Eastern European developers who just continue to be absolutely killing it with just crazy cool ideas, really awesome first-person shooters, really enticing-looking, unique ideas that aren't just sequels or rehashes or reviving of uh, franchises we've seen in the past. And, I'm, dude, I'm all here for it. It's, it's really, really cool stuff. Atomic Heart, still to this day, every time I see it, I'm like, it's it's like 50% Bioshock and 50% Wolfenstein, the, uh, the, the machine games version of Wolfenstein. And those are two really brilliant games, and you put them together, and you just make something super beautiful. And I'm, I'm so drawn to this game. I continue to look forward to it. And February 21st, man, I know, I know the first game coming out early next year that I am just simply dying to play And atomic hearts. You, you were, you were, you look special. So they had a release trailer, a release date trailer come out along with the announcement today. So if you haven't seen that and you're interested in this game, highly recommend you check it out. Yeah. This game ah, looks so good. Also must be mentioned, you know, the fact that they are a, Russian-based developer. It is a little surprising that this game didn't just kind of fall into obscurity or just kind of go silent, considering the conflict, uh, the well, the Russian invasion of of Ukraine right now, and just the way you see a lot of you know American and other 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 Western nations kind of just condemn Russia. So it is surprising that this game is just going to seemingly come out as if um, nothing's going on, um, which I, I am actually happy about because. Even though it is really, really absolutely repulsive and disgusting and potentially world-ending, you know, Russia's disgusting invasion of Ukraine, I I really do hate this sentiment, this growing sentiment of just complete hatred towards Russian, like Russia in general, as if if the the people of Russia want to be fighting this absolute bullshit war, so... You know, we, I don't know, the way I see it is, you know, don't look at world leaders and militaries, look at individuals and people. There are a lot of really good Russian people out there who sure as hell don't want to be at war right now. And, uh, you know, maybe we should support Russians to some extent, you know, especially in the artistic sense in, in something like this, because this is the work, this is the labor of many creative individuals who wanted to put something really bright into the games industry and uh, which is no doubt, you know, an industry you can assume they're probably pretty passionate about if they're making a video game and, you know, to be able, I, I don't know. Wouldn't, wouldn't it just be cool if there was like a world where like, rather than fighting people over resources and land, we could just be like, oh, wow, we all have common interests and loves. And it's like, wow, you like games too? okay, what if the Russians made games and the Japanese made games and the Americans made games and the Chinese made games and everyone had good time, but instead it's like, no, economic and fucking global domination. Unfortunately, that's the case, but um, I I just want to give a shout-out to Atomic Heart because um, I do wonder if it's going to face some serious backlash and resistance from markets because of the Russian nature of the game, but goddamn, the game itself. If we're just looking at the game itself, it looks so damn good. And February 21st, I plan on playing this game on you, on you, February 21st. I'm talking to you, the calendar date of February 21st. I will play this game on top of you. All right, let's stop talking about getting freaky with the date, February 21. Let's talk about Modern Warfare, because I know you guys are not, you're like, Jesse, talk too much about Sonic. Well, okay, well, I'll talk too much about Call of Duty. Would that make you happy? Okay, so here we go. Modern Warfare 2 came out last week. Big game, you might have heard of it. Well, Modern Warfare 2 has enjoyed the most lucrative launch in the history of the long-running franchise. Yes, 
Let that sink in for a second. As reported by VGC, that this news comes by way of publisher Activision, who claimed earlier this week that the game has topped $800 million in sales in its first three days of availability. In doing so, it has surpassed the previous five-day franchise sales record set in 2011 by Modern Warfare 3. Keep that in mind. That's crazy. So the previous Call of Duty game to reach a record this close was Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, the, the record holder up until this moment, which is surprising because I know Modern Warfare 2019 was uh, the best-selling Call of Duty game uh, to date. So obviously, based on this information, it seems like Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 didn't sell as fast as Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3. Am I say Modern Warfare 2? I mean Modern Warfare 2 2022. I know it's confusing, but... um. Uh, it, it, it seems like it did eventually hit the highest sales goal, so uh, or the si- highest sales milestone. So it looks like Modern Warfare 2 is on pace, uh, on track to potentially smash that number, and uh, it is is already surpassed the previous five day franchise sales record by Modern Warfare 3 in 2011. That's that's pretty surprising considering. Um, actually, I think Modern, I think Black Ops 2 was a better selling game than Modern Warfare 3. So it's weird that Modern Warfare 3's Initial sales were so strong. This this data is a little skewed because you look at the Call of Duty data. I think the highest selling Call of Duty games were like Black Ops 2 and Modern Warfare 2019. So Modern Warfare 3, it's very, very high up there, but it's not as high as those two. Anyway, rounding it out, Activision claimed that the game's blockbuster launch was the highest grossing entertainment opening of the year, topping the combined worldwide box office openings of Top Gun Maverick and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Wow, look at that. It's almost like video games are really important pieces of entertainment that pull lots and lots of interest and money. Look at that. Uh, the game also set up set a new franchise record for the number of unique players and hours played through its first three days of the premium Call of Duty game. For the premium Call of Duty game. Uh, yeah, this is this is kind of crazy. So keep in mind, last year's Call of Duty Vanguard uh, was the worst selling Call of Duty game. I think they'd said since since basically Call of Duty was ushered into this era of just mega popularity, beginning with 2007's Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. So that is quite impressive that they basically went from like the biggest slump to the highest high they've reached. Uh, in just a matter of a year, and it just goes to show not only how you know how much the setting and, and, and the developer behind the title can kind of make a difference, but really how much the the weight of the of the sub brand holds. You know, Modern Warfare, super high, highly valuable name. Uh, Black Ops, super highly valuable name. Infin- uh, poor Sledgehammer, they just can't catch a break. They've really never, you know, they never stuck with the same sub franchise more than once. They're, we never got a sequel to. We never got a sequel to Advanced Warfare. We never got a sequel to World War II. Thankfully, hopefully we never got a real sequel to World War II in real life. I'm looking at you, Russia. Uh, we never got a sequel to Vanguard. Well, I mean, it's only a year old, but we probably never will. Uh, we definitely never will. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it just seems like these these Modern Warfare and Black Ops in particular are such powerful, powerful brands. And especially because, keep in mind, when you look at the Call of Duty franchise, mod- the original Modern Warfare 2, the 2009 Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, has got to be, I would think it is, at least just anecdotally, it feels like the Call of Duty that everyone remembers the fondest. You know, whenever whenever you talk to, like, a 25, 35-year-old guy who is a little jaded and doesn't really give a shit about Call of Duty anymore because it's, like, it's lame, it's overdone, it's tired, uh, but remembers fondly the good old days of 2009 playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 with their buddies, it always does seem like 
the one people pull from the most is Modern Warfare 2. It's always like, Modern Warfare, great game. World at War, great game. Black Ops, really great game. But Modern Warfare 2 is that one from that era where everyone's just like, fucking Modern Warfare 2. Everyone, dude. Like, you can't you can't talk to a 35-year-old guy with a beer belly and a receding hairline without him just going on and on about, like, I remember 12-year-olds dropping N-bombs in the Xbox Live party chats or, or lobby chats. I remember fucking tactical nukes. I remember everything, dude. Those were the those were the days. Do you remember high-rise? Do you remember the map high-rise? It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just so etched in people's memories. Honestly... I feel like, in a way, Modern Warfare 2 is kind of of that Halo 3, like, kind of legendary status. You know, it's harder to look at Call of Duty that way because it's a franchise that the publisher clearly has less respect from because Call of Duty is, like, this kind of beaten cow. They just keep fucking milking this teat over and over and over again, whereas Halo gets a little bit more respect because they'll take three to five years to make a Halo. You know, they'll they'll try, whether you agree with it or not, they'll try to make the next Halo game something that is a, a milestone or a, a monumental kind of m- m- like notable moment for the franchise, whereas Call of Duty just kind of gets beat to death. But no no doubt, you know, if you can if you can take the past 10 days of just jaded, tired, repetitiveness away from the conversation and, the, and just, you know, how worn people are and, and kind of go back to the earlier days, you can remember that Modern Warfare 2, like 2009, was a very monumental game for a lot of people. And I think, obviously, this is just the reboot of the Modern Warfare franchise. Really, the game has almost nothing to do with the original Modern Warfare 2. But just by way of being the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I think there's something about it that feels comforting. And, you know, especially considering the fact that Modern Warfare 2019 came out the last year the world was normal before the pandemic and all that. And when you consider that, like, everything people have been through the past few years and just the fact that people actually really liked Modern Warfare 2019, so sequels tend to do really well if the first entry were, or the previous entry was really well received. And you just consider all these little factors that this is kind of the successor to the legendary 09 Modern Warfare 2. All these things added up. I, I think it's just... It has a lot of people excited. Not only that, but you can also trace it back to last year. Last year was a Call of Duty. Everyone was quick to write off. No one gave a shit about it. it did pretty poorly cons- you know, relative to other Call of Duties. It, it sold incredibly well. Just shitty by Call of Duty standards. You know, when you just consider all these factors together, I think it, it just it it just demands and calls for a moment where it's just everyone's like, yeah, Call of Duty, you know? Like, I, I've been excited about this game. It's definitely, I, I get a little bit of all those things I just talked about for sure. You know, I, I remember every, everyone I've talked to was just like, yeah, fuck Modern Warfare 2. I don't really give a shit. Call of Duty's so tired. and I'm so bored of Call of Duty. And then, like, over the course of this week, so many people I've talked to have been like, yeah, man, uh, <laughs> I caved in and downloaded Modern Warfare 2. It's actually it's actually pretty fucking good. And it's it's been fun. It's been ex- it's exciting. And obviously, we live in the world of just such nitpicky, overly critical, um, just hypersensitive, hypercritical kind of attitudes towards gaming. That you know, don't get me wrong. This game definitely has some issues, and I have plenty of criticisms of it. But you know, it's like no one. It's not going to be like back in the old Xbox 360 days where the new Modern Warfare came out, and we all just found reasons to love it you know the conversation is going to be a little bit of like well this is broken they need to fix this and where's this feature and i fucking miss this mode and eh, the game's whatever but aside from that of course there's always going to be a, a an amount of that it does seem like there's just a lot of like hey this game's pretty fucking cool like yo i didn't expect this game to be so good and it is it's nice it is comforting you know considering 
you, you know, just everything we've been through and how long of a journey it feels like it's been since uh, since the old heyday of Call of Duty. There is something about this game that does feel kind of comforting and familiar in, in a really, really nice way. Um, kind of in a way, I think Halo Infinite almost felt a little bit at at launch for a second for like 25 minutes before everyone was like burn three, four, three to the ground. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's fun. So, I mean, fucking congrats. Congrats to Activision, I suppose. You know, Xbox must be fucking thrilled with this news because they're 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 reaching the end of this long and arduous uh, acquisition journey with Activision. Um they're probably looking at this like, yeah, we are so we are so ready to own this this IP. We are so ready to be the ones to reap the the financial rewards of this of this gaming franchise. And uh, Activision, Infinity Ward, all all the various teams that work on Call of Duty continue. You know, say what you will about Call of Duty, but they continue to put out a solid fucking product year after year after year. We talk about broken games all the time, games that are not you know not buggy or had day one patches, but I'm talking about literally just fucked up, broken, half baked games and. Say what you will about Call of Duty, it's pretty consistently a, a fun and complete package. I've been playing the fuck out of this game. We'll get into that a little bit with the, what I've been playing in, in a while. But I've been playing this game like crazy, and I've been having a good time. It is a fun, fun game. So there you go. Call of Duty selling like crack. Who would have guessed? Next, we got to talk about a little bit of a, a little bit of tea surrounding the upcoming Callisto Protocol. Uh, VGC is reporting that the game has actually been canceled in Japan. After its developer determined that it would not be able to get a rating for the game without cutting content. Quote, we've decided to discontinue the Japanese version of the Callisto Protocol, the game's official social media account stated. We've determined that the game cannot pass the CEO. I never know if it's like CERO or CERO or how it's said. Uh, it's like their ESRB basically of Japan. Um, we have determined that the game cannot pass the CERO rating that is currently in, in its current state. And that change in the content will not provide the experience that will not provide the experience that players expect. We would appreciate we would appreciate your understanding in Japan. And quote, the account concluded by stating that it would provide refunds to anyone who's already pre-ordered the title. Video games are rarely banned in Japan, so this is of high note, but many titles have been edited for excessive violence in years past, such as Gears of War, Call of Duty, GTA, Dead Island, etc. So, I don't know, this is a uh, this is one of those moments where I'm like, yo, mad respect to uh striking distance well they're the developers so i feel like they probably get less i don't know man i feel like you you, you think developer has a lot less a lot less say in a move like this usually the publisher would be the one to kind of make the final the final call and but they're making this in, in partnership with skybound entertainment or not skybound entertainment who are they working with this Krafton. i i i knew him as the when they were the PUBG corporation i knew him as the PUBG corporation but it's it's Krafton. it's a holding company they own the PUBG company or corporation so they're under that umbrella i always forget the fucking name korean publishing arm anyway i honestly respect to both striking distance and crafting in the in this regard though of just being like hey th listen we care about the integrity of our product we don't want to release a game that we think you know that has to be edited to a point where we feel like we're not getting the same experience across to the player that we want to provide to them we'd rather them you know have to just not be able to access some some half-assed version of the game than to uh we'd rather them just not be able to access it all than to have some half-assed version of the game in their hands and I, and I do respect that a lot because it just shows a lot of integrity and restraint and, and respect for the creator and the creative process while of course you know leaving tons and tons of money on the table this this does suck in a lot of ways like you don't want your Japanese audience to miss out on this game that that sucks like you know I, I would fucking hate it 
if a, you know if like Sonic was censored, if 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 the ESRB was like, listen, I don't know what 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 flies in Japan as far as like blue hedgehogs running really fast around an open world is, but here in America we have standards, okay? We don't we don't let just blue hedgehogs run around naked wildly collecting chaos emeralds. We don't want any naked blue hedgehog just wearing shoes to create any any sort of chaos. So we're gonna have to censor or ban this game. Put some fucking pants on Sonic. You know that would suck because we all want Sonic to not wear pants, right? And so I know I would be crestfallen if the, if if Sega and Sonic Team were just like, hey, unfortunately, Sonic Frontiers not coming to America, specifically not coming to Florida because Sonic. It's really important to us that he does not wear pants. And, and these goddamn Americans are trying to put pants on our blue hedgehog. We cannot abide by it. And you know it would suck. But all joking aside, it's like I get it. It really does suck. You know for the Japanese market. But the good news is consoles are more unlocked than ever before and, you know, nothing's really region locked anymore. So if you are a Japanese gamer, you can very easily just switch your console to, you know, Australia or some shit like that and just fucking download Callisto Protocol and go play it anyway. So it's not like the hurdles to, to get around and play this game anyway are going to be that massive, but... It, it is unfortunate. It does suck that they just don't have the same level of access to this game that, you know, the rest of us are going to enjoy. Um, so that that is unfortunate. I don't want to, like, gloss over that. But definitely, I, I really do respect um, a publisher that is willing to be like, yo, we're going to leave this money on the table so that our, our developer can, um, can feel like they're putting out the product that they truly can stand behind and believe in and feel like it's a total reflection of what they wanted to create. And that is just really cool. And then there's always the other maybe more cynical interpretation, which is like, hey, this game comes out in, in a month. We don't have time to cut content for Japan. Let's just cancel the game altogether. All there's just not enough time for us to revise the game the way they need us to. So it could just be that. I don't know. But um, a little something to note, something interesting, I thought. Definitely worth bringing up. That happened shortly after last week's news, so you may have already heard that by now. But Callisto Protocol still coming out here in the U.S. of A., where we get pretty much every game. So unfortunately, we we never really are on this are on the receiving end of the, of this bad news. You know, uh, unfortunate in the sense that we don't really, you know, it, it it's just it makes it look more unfair to everyone else. But more games for us, yay! Consume. All right, next up, guys. Let's talk about something Phil Spencer said. Yep, that's right. He had one too many white claws, and he got on. He got on TV. He got on the news again, and he said, uh, "Fuck this Xbox place. PlayStation Five loads faster. It's a better console in every way, and the Dual Sense just feels so good in your hands." And of course, you know it's a whole mess. And Sachi Nadella had to come out there again and do the whole PR tour and be like. Phil Spencer, you know, that's not really what he believes. Phil Spencer, he's been going through some emotional withdrawal. It's the whole thing. And Oh, wait, no, that, that's a different story. That didn't actually happen. Phil Spencer said something, but it's actually something completely different. Uh, let's, let's read the story because clearly I, I'm having a bad memory right now. VGC reports. Speaking during the Wall Street Journal Tech Live event this past week, Xbox head Phil Spencer, also known as the CE motherfucking O of gaming, said that he believes scrutiny around such a significant deal, such as the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard, was warranted and revealed that he had been meeting regularly with regulators around the world. So this is our weekly update on the acquisition. We won't dwell on it too long, but I did find this quite interesting. It's a one of those cool guy humanizing Phil Spencer moments. He says, quote, might be surprising to people, but I'm not an expert on doing $70 billion deals. But I do know that we're very focused on getting the approval in the major jurisdictions, and I'm spending lots of time in Brussels, London, with the FTC here in, in the U.S., 
and with the FTC here in the US. I wouldn't say that discussions have been very fair and honest. It is a big acquisition, there's no doubt. Microsoft has its role in the tech industry. It's a large tech company, and I do not think discussion around an acquisition of this size is warranted, and I've appreciated the time to go spend. He added, we are really focused on getting this deal approved in the markets that I'm confident it will. Uh, I, I was just in London last week. Continue to have discussions with regulatory boards and remain confident that we'll get this deal approved. End quote. Much of the discussion from regulators to the games industry around the Activision Blizzard deal has focused on, of course, Call of Duty. Despite repeated assurances that Xbox will keep Call of Duty on PlayStation, which is regularly the best-selling game in the U.S. Hey, we just talked about a lot of that stuff. Sony has been engaged increasingly in a public war of words over the proposed deal. So we will get into that story a little bit later, but... It is, uh, I don't know, I, I just, um, I, I feel like this is only important to note for the for the simple fact that Phil Spencer has been uh, just talking a little bit too much, I, I think, to the public about this. Obviously, you're talking about flying around, talking to all these regulatory boards, trying to defend the deal, make the case for Xbox. He's doing his job. That part, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. That's all well and good. But the part where he responds to the Jim Ryan quotes about oh, that's inadequate this or that or they, they put up the stupid fucking PR website that they put up a few weeks ago where they tried to talk about how Xbox or Microsoft acquiring Activision would be good for the consumer that was that was so like disgusting that was such a gross thing they did like it's so it's so fucking gross when companies try to do that hey we're a big corporation and here's why us owning more of everything in the world is good for you the innocent poor consumer who has no control over anything in the world and would be financially devastated if their fucking car got broken into because that's how incredibly financially fragile 99% of the actual world is. It's like, that's so fucking gross. But I, 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 I love you personally a lot of criticism towards Phil Spencer and Xbox in general for just talking too much about this. I think the public already is in their favor. There's a lot of goodwill towards Xbox with this deal where people are like, yes, buy it because we don't fucking want Tencent involved. Or Xbox fans are like, fucking buy it because we want Xbox to be big and cool so we can complain or so we can brag on Twitter and flex with our green muscles to the PlayStation guys or you know it's just in general people seem pretty like pro Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard you don't have to go out and say something so when PlayStation comes out and makes an ass of themselves trying to block the deal delay the deal stop the deal in any way shape or form you know they already make themselves look bad you don't need to respond because you already look good by default, and they're making themselves look bad. But Phil Spencer and, and the team at Xbox do just—they keep kind of making themselves look a little bad because they're like, "Well, actually, here's what well, we really—it's like, dude, stop, stop." And they keep kind of like tripping over their tongue and repeating themselves and saying slightly different things every time about like, "Ah, yeah, we'll be on PlayStation for the for a while, or we have a deal," and then PlayStation's like, "That deal's not as long as you guys think it is. They're being misleading about that." Blah blah blah. And it's like, ah, I don't know, man. You just kind of keep your mouth shut. But at the same time, this story reveals that Phil's very much like, yo, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is all new shit for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a games guy at first. And, you know, it's just not, this isn't my area of expertise. So it does give a little bit of that humanizing characteristic to, to Phil that I think a lot of people tend to latch onto and really appreciate about the guy. But still, I, I remain somewhat skeptical of, of just the way that this has been handled. Not to say that, you know, as he mentions here, not to say that getting a $70 billion deal passed is, is ever really a clean and easy process, but I don't know. I, I guess I just wanted to share the quote so that information was out there. We will get into a lot juicier uh, Phil Spencer quotes later on in the news, uh, things that touch on this information a little bit as well. Uh, but for now, we'll start with that little 
appetizer of Phil Spencer quotes, but we have, I promise you, a full entree course as well as a nice little sweet dessert course of Phil Spencer comments to get into once we get to the main news in a little bit here. But before we do that, let's uh, talk about, we got two more uh, two more stories of mild amusement that I want to touch on real quick. First of all, let's talk about Cliffy B. Yes, Mr. Cliff Blazinski, uh, former guy of Epic Games, the basically the daddy of Gears of War, the father of Gears of War. Uh, according to VGC, Cliff Blazinski has suggested Epic Games, the former owner and developer of Gears of War, was unsure what to do with the Gears of War franchise before they agreed to sell to Microsoft. Blazinski served as lead designer of the first three games in a series during a 20-year spell at Epic, which came to an end in 2012 after uh, Gears 3 had released and two years before Microsoft acquired the IP. According to Xbox, Gears of War had sold over 22 million units and grossed over a billion dollars when the deal was announced in 2014. That's just from those first three games, and I guess... What was that spin-off Gears of War game that everyone hated? Uh, Gears of War Judgment. Anyway, despite the franchise's success, Bl- Blazinski told told IGN that he thinks Epic had run out of ideas with where to take Gears next following the departure of several key staff members. Quote, I honestly think that once Lee Perry, game designer, myself, and Rod Ferguson, producer of Gears of War, left, I believe Epic didn't really know what to do with the franchise. They hadn't shipped the game in a while, and the Unreal Engine was doing rather well, but they were growing and they probably need income even though they really didn't know what to do with the next the future of the franchise and quote since its acquisition of the franchise microsoft has released two mainline entry titles 2016's gears 4 and 2019's gears 5 both which were developed by the coalition as well as gears ultimate edition and the turn-based tactics spin-off gears tactics this is uh this is interesting to to hear um because I, I I don't know I guess there's this weird thing where like Gears of War is like the second biggest Xbox franchise in terms of like the importance of the of the of the of the console when you think about it, and it's like with Halo I feel like we always have the behind the scenes stories and the nuts and the bolts of what happened what went right what went wrong, but with Gears it's like I feel like these stories don't get told a whole lot because it's like I don't know if maybe there's just less pressure from like people in the industry to kind of find these stories or if it's just I don't know what it is but we just don't get these stories a lot and so to hear that. Basically, it seems like the reason why Epic really moved on from Gears wasn't because there was, like, severe fatigue or they just wanted to move on to the next thing. It just seems like they're kind of like, hey, we, we told our story and we we think we're done here. Like, we just don't, we don't know what we would do next if we were to make another Gears of War game. So, it's pretty cool to see that, like, kind of candid response. Uh, on a personal level, I know many people believe the first three Gears games, the Epic Gears games, are the best, kind of like how people are about Bungie, when they're like, oh, Halo's only good if it's made by Bungie, fuck 343, but I gotta be honest, on a personal level, I, I really, really love the Coalition's Gears of War, I love 4 and 5, in fact, I would say I like the Coalition's Gears games better than Epic's Gears games, but that's, I know, a hot take, it might it might ruffle some feathers, offend some of you listening here, who really, really just love Gears of War 2, I know, it's a good game, I'm not trying to shit talk it, but that Gears 4 do be better, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I just, I, I think this is a, it's a cool, interesting quote, because, um, it's like the difference between the creator having that like moment of, hey, I think it's time to figure out what's next because we've come to a natural and organic kind of stopping point with this franchise. But then, of course, you know, the interested party, the publisher in this case, Microsoft, is like, hey, uh, this Gears franchise sold 22 million units. I don't think we can be done with it just yet. What do you say we get a, another one of these cooking in the oven? And, of course, you can fill in the blanks and assume this is kind of how we led to Microsoft acquiring acquiring um the the ip 
from Epic, and then, you know, Black Tusk turning to the Coalition, becoming the permanent Gears of War developer, etc., etc. The rest is history. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think this is really cool shit, and um, the thing that I find really different in terms of, like, paralleling this story with Bungie and 343 and Halo and all that is that... It, Although the coalition is definitely named and kind of modeled after after like this identity of like the Gears of War developer, it's it's been pretty clear that the coalition is not exclusively a Gears developer and nothing else. We we in fact know they're working on another non Gears related project uh, from from rumors and reporting, and uh, there's no like imminent understanding of when Gears Six is coming out, which I find incredibly odd, just because Gears Five clearly ends in such a cliffhanger like get ready for six you know gear six is obviously a game that takes place immediately after gears five so like unless you're going to try some halo infinite bullshit where you just kind of retcon the last game it's like what, what what are we doing here you know there's just where's gear six it's been three years like you would expect at the very least there's some confirmation that the coalition's like oh yeah we're really hard at work on the next gears game but yeah man like they have a very different MO, there's a very different attitude towards these guys from the public, very different treatment, it seems like, as an outsider looking in, with how Xbox kind of used the Coalition. We know they're fucking around with Unreal Engine 5, we know they're working on some different things, but it's like, where's that Gear 6 we're, you know, all looking forward to? Honestly, I feel like 2023, you know, next summer kind of has to be when we see the next thing from the Coalition, but at the same time, if we didn't see something from the Coalition next summer, I'd be disappointed, no doubt, but I wouldn't entirely be surprised. It's just uh, very curious to see kind of what's going on with Gears. It just doesn't seem to be in the same uh, level of treatment of, of how Halo has been historically taken, but then again, so much has changed in recent years. You know, There's so much less pressure for Coalition to churn out the next Gears game because, you know, we got Bethesda now. We got Activision assumed, assumedly, assumedly in the next couple months here. We got, you know, all these new developers, all these new studios. We got we got some shit. You know, Obsidian is kind of taking the, you know, right now I would say Obsidian is kind of like the, the, the poster child for the good Xbox game dev. You know, it's like it's like Obsidian, Playground, and um, I don't know. Who would you say the third one is? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's about to be. Um, maybe it's about to be Arcane with Redfall looking as good as it does. So, I don't know. Obviously, Xbox has grown so much since Gears Five, which was so short. You know, it's just three years ago. But so much has happened in those three years that I think there's a lot less pressure on Gears to be the kind of big game. But I don't know. Just interesting. Cool quote from Cliffy B. A little bit of insight. And uh, it's I, I find it important and interesting to do that that reading of of Gears and Halo and kind of how they correlate and play off one another and definitely the franchises seem to be taking different different turns. Um, real quick, guys, we got one more before we get into the actual news, and this is uh, uh we'll spend just not much time. I just want to pay some respects, some sad and unfortunate news. IGN reports or relays the sad news that. Uh, Ryuko Kodama, the pioneering developer behind Sega Classics, including Fantasy Star and Skies of Arcadia, has passed away. Rumors began after a memorial message of Kodama was uh, spotted in the credits of the Mega Drive Mini 2, which recently released, asking whether the message was indeed intended to indicate that Kodama had passed. Sega producer Yosuke Otsukunari uh, said that she had, saying, quote, As you understand it, Okunari wrote, We respected her. 
Sega has subsequently confirmed that Kadama died back in May, but it was unable to share any further details out of respect for the privacy of her family. Known as, a, uh, as the Phoenix Rai, known as the Phoenix Ray, Rai? I don't know how to say that. In her early works, Kadama broke into the games industry in the mid-1980s, where she served as a graphic designer and later as a producer and director. Her credits include Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Skies of Arcadia, but she's best known for her work as a creative, one of the creative leads in the Fantasy Star series, serving as the director of Fantasy Star 4. I believe that is the more beloved of the Fantasy Star titles of, you know, the original core JRPG Fantasy Star games. Kadama remained active in the games industry up in th up through the the 2010s, continuing to work on games including Seventh Dragon and Sega Ages. So, just wanted to uh, give that shout out, you know, to Miss Kadama, and of course, respects and best wishes to her family. Always sad, you know, to hear of someone's passing, um, but you know, someone who had such an indelible hand on, you know, some gaming franchises, I would say, are critically underappreciated. Skies of Arcadia, really big, really important game of the time. Of course, Sonic, how could you <laughs> do worked on Sonic the Hedgehog 2? Like, if, listen, if you had your hands on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, you are a good person. You, uh, you deserve a lot of credit. You, uh, you, you, you helped create one of the most seminal gaming experiences in my entire life. A lot of respect for you. And if you don't like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, simply put, you're a bad person. And then Fantasy Star, of course, I, I dude, I continually scratch my head with Fantasy Star. Don't get me wrong, Fantasy Star 2 Online 2, really cool game. I always want to get back to that game. I actually like it a lot. But uh the thing I just don't get is why Sega sits on Fantasy Star. Honestly, why does Microsoft let Sega sit on Fantasy Star? I feel like there's so much missed opportunity. Microsoft has a really good relationship with Sega. Um, Fantasy Star is like such a highly it's such a high potential JRPG series. Like, dude, commission Sega to make a proper 3D modern era Fantasy Star game, a la Final Fantasy 16, Final Fantasy 7 remake, something like that. Like, just do it, man, and get it exclusively on Xbox, and kind of give your middle fingers to PlayStation. That could be such a a big win. And I I don't mean to be disrespectful and take this really sad news and make it about like how Xbox can beat PlayStation. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying she she had her hand on some really important franchises, and uh, it's kind of shocking that we even don't see some of these explored today. But uh, honestly, just want to give my condolences to the family and respect to Miss Odama for her contribute contributions to our industry. May you rest in peace. And that is going to do it for all of our stories of mild amusement updates and corrections this week. You guys next, we jump into the actual news, the beefy, juicy, fun stuff. But before we do that, we always talk about the games we've been playing this week. What have I been playing? But before I tell you about what I've been playing, I usually tell you about what I've been eating. But before I tell you about what I've been eating, I want to tell you about Flex Markets. Uh, we mentioned this last week, and guys, I want to shout it out again. My good buddy Danny is a proprietor of a new venture here in the Orlando area, and I have seen apparently there's a decent amount of Orlando area listeners of the Xbox On podcast. So if you're in the market, be sure to check out the Flex Markets in downtown Orlando every Saturday. The, down, the Flex Markets is a vendor space at Credo Market in downtown Orlando, Florida, and will be an outdoor farmer's market with vendors selling a variety of items, including local foods. Come experience the tastes of Central Florida. That's right. We have gator pizza. We have gator hot dogs. We have gator cereal. Everything you can imagine. It's all Florida. It's all natural flavors. I'm talking oranges. I'm talking alligators. I'm talking fucking flamingos. I'm talking sweaty tourists. We will barbecue these motherfuckers and serve them to you at the Flex Markets at down in downtown Orlando. 
in at Credo Market in downtown Orlando, Florida. So, hey, this is every Saturday. If it's something you guys are interested in, be sure to check it out. Say hi to Danny if you see him. And I got to get down there myself because I'm really interested to give this place a go. But that's it for the ad read, guys. I'm making so much fucking money. I am rich. I am quitting my day job because I do ad reads. Next, let me tell you about NordVPN as well as my other sponsor, Raycon. Guys, earbuds suck, except Raycon. Raycon does not suck. Actually, they don't they don't sponsor me. So we're going to move on to the next segment. Guys, let's talk about what I've been eating this week. Now, you know we're going to get into Modern Warfare 2. But I got to tell you about what food has been what food has been fueling my Modern Warfare 2 game time. And this is going to be a little ode to my uh well, let's not say ode cuz that would be too bad. That would be too that would be too complimentary. This is going to be a little bit of a rant. Guys, this week, I ended up eating at a place called Luke's Legendary Pizza. You might be thinking to yourself, Jesse, what's Luke's Legendary Pizza? Is this like some, what, what is this? What are you talking about? Luke's Legendary Pizza is a victim of, is a victim of a marketing scheme that I feel that too many Americans have fallen, uh, have fallen prey to. And I don't, I can't speak for other markets. Maybe this is a thing elsewhere in the world, but for Americans that do not live in the city, not the state, the city of New York, which I assume is the majority of Americans, right? We have this, this struggle where every local pizza place wants to sell you on the idea that they are authentic, legitimate New York style pizza. Of course, you always got your, your, your serious, you know, you know what motherfuckers who trying to be like, no, 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 New York slice ain't it. We are Italian pizza, sure. But aside from those guys, every fucking local mom and pop pizza place is like real New York pizza. You're in the middle of fucking Boise, Idaho, and they're just like real authentic New York pizza here, Mama Mia's. Like if I had a fucking dollar for every time a local pizza spot was named Mama Mia's and just had nothing to do with the other 4.2 trillion Mama Mia's throughout the U.S., fucking, you know, I wouldn't be doing ad reads here. I'd be, I'd be on my yacht. But the thing is, it's Halloween night. My girlfriend and I go to Giovanni's Pizza. It's our favorite local pizza spot. I don't know what happened. Maybe the health inspector came and shut them down. We still don't know the answer. They're closed on Halloween. One of the biggest days for pizza chains. They're closed on Halloween. I don't know what's happening. We've eaten there on previous Halloween, so I know they've been open in the past. Not sure what's going on. Personally, I'm a little worried because it's my favorite pizza spot in, in, in Orlando-ish area where I live, and I need to go back and have Giovanni's. But nonetheless, here we are. They're closed. It's Halloween. I need pizza. Someone's got someone's to take care of my needs, my cheesy, saucy, doughy needs. And so I look at the next closest spot. I'm trying to keep the positive energy. It's Halloween. It's the best day of the year. Let's keep it going. All right. Giovanni's is close. Let's let's make a new memory. Let's have a new experience. Uh, hey Siri, uh, but the Google version because I've Android. Where is the nearest pizza place? Tell me now. And in the pizza place, in, in, in the phone goes, Luke's Legendary Pizza. It's about three miles away from Giovanni's. Good, go take me there. I don't know what it is about these pizza places, but you cannot call yourself Legendary Pizza, Legendary Authentic New York style pizza, and then continue to just be the exact same fucking slice of pizza I get everywhere, whether it's Mamma Mia's, Giovanni's, Giordano's, Luigi's, Papa Dio's, uh, Jerry's, all these fucking places. They're like pa- Papa... Papa Nazi, Papa... Pa- whatever. They're all fucking... No, they're not Nazis. They're a pa- Papa Fascist. Pizzeria Mamma Mia. And they're all just the same fucking shit. They all taste the same. It's like 
pretty decent cheese, super oily pizza, pretty decent sauce, dough that's like eh, maybe a little too hard, a little too cardboardy, doesn't have the, the little touch of sweetness you're expecting it to have that you need it to have that's always missing. And it's just, what is it about these pizza places? And I know there are people listening who are like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about, man. We went to Brooklyn once and we had amazing pizza. And then anywhere I've been in the, in the entire country outside of that was just like the same fucking slice of pizza. You know, you can go to your fast food place. You can go to your Little Caesars, your Papa John's, your, your Pizza Hut and get that authentic fast food, unique style pizza that's going to taste like Domino's. It's going to taste like Pizza Hut. Nothing else like it, right? But then when it comes to your quote unquote local New York spot, they're all just the same shit. It's the exact same thing as Chinese takeout. You know how, like, you go to a Chinese takeout spot and nine times out of ten it tastes pretty much the same as the other place two miles down the road? Why is it that way with New York pizza? Why are they all the same fucking pizza? And we love Giovanni's because Giovanni's is kind of weird. It's like this weird Greek pizza place. I don't know what they're doing over at Giovanni's. They're fucking crazy. You walk in that building, they've never turned the AC on. It is like 140 degrees, and you have to bear that heat just to pick up your pizza, but it is worth every second of it because their pizza is so good. But Luke's Legendary Pizza, it's just like Pronto Italia. It's just like fucking Giordano's. It's just like New York Pizza Police Department or whatever they fucking call it. They're all the same. They're all just pizza. And are they bad? No. And are they good? Yeah. But are they all just the same? Yeah. So Luke, and, and why, why is your name Luke? There's nothing Italian about the name Luke, so fuck you. But Luke, why are you calling your pizza Legendary when it is so average it's so standard and you know it's it's heightened here I, I dealt with this when i lived in georgia because every pizza spot was like this there too but here in florida it's extra hurtful because fun fact for those who haven't been to or don't live in central florida no one in central florida is a floridian no one was born in the state of florida okay in central florida you were either from new jersey new york or puerto rico those are the only three places you can be from if you live in central florida no one here is from the state of florida okay and so everyone here in the, in Central Florida likes to brag on and on. Oh, I'm from the Northeast. I'm from New York. Oh, the pizza's so good. I miss pizza here sucks. Pizza up there is so good. But the snow, oh, we can't stand the winter, so we had to move to Florida. Everyone is like that here. And it's like, dude, you bitch so much. You moan so much. You drive up the housing costs so much here. But you can't fucking bring your delicious pizza down here. Don't open up a local spot. Don't fucking take advantage of our low housing prices. Don't take advantage of, uh, of our... Of our of our lack of state income tax and all these things, just so you can then service the same standard mediocre motherfucking meatball pizza that they'd be selling anywhere else in the country. I can get it in Texas. I can get it in Nebraska. I can get it in Washington State. I can get it in Virginia. Don't give me this shit. I want real pizza. Don't put New York pizza on the menu on the fucking sign unless you're going to be the real motherfucking deal. You know what I'm talking about, Luke? So this is a, this is, count this as a warning, Luke, okay? Next time I go there, I better get some real Italian pizza, some real New York pizza. Apology. Apolog apologies for that slip up. Real, real New York pizza, goddammit. Or you take that off your damn sign and admit you're just another generic Mamma Mia's generic pizza takeout, hot and fresh, ready for you. You know the fucking brown cardboard box I'm talking about. You've seen it everywhere. There's nothing special about you. Move on. Next in line. Okay. That's it for what I've been eating. Luke's, you got me all heated. Giovanni's, I hope you're okay. We'll check on you next week. That's it for what I've been eating. But let's talk about now something a little more important, something a little more pressing. Sorry about what I've been playing. 
guys, obviously there's no 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 surprise. I've been playing Modern Warfare 2. But I have been playing another game. It's not just Modern Warfare 2. I played two games, so we'll get to the second one in a minute. But obviously we talked about the multi or the campaign last week, so I won't get into that really because you know I already kind of gave my two cents. But the multiplayer is out, the full package is out. Modern Warfare 2, it's here in the flesh. I gotta be honest, man. I'm really digging this game. I think Modern Warfare 2019, the previous entry, felt a little more like eventful in the fact that I thought the campaign was really good. The story it told was really cool. It had a lot of really interesting characters. And the multiplayer, whether you like it or not, and I, I fall on the air, I, I air on the side of like, eh, I wasn't crazy about it. The multiplayer felt like a big evolution for Call of Duty. Like the engine was different. The physics felt different. The look was different. You know, everything was different. The, the the leveling system, the prestige system, the unlock system, everything in Modern Warfare 2019 was so different. It felt like such a cohesive, visionary evolution of what Call of Duty was going to be. Really good campaign, really different new style of multiplayer, and everything felt really tight and put together. Now, don't get me wrong, Modern Warfare 2019 had its issues. It was a little buggy. It had some balancing issues here and there. It wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm not trying to paint it differently than it was. But something different something different about Modern Warfare 2 where it just feels a little more kind of patched together than Modern Warfare 2019 felt. And I can't quite put my finger on it when I play it because Modern Warfare 2, I liked the campaign a lot. Um, and I talked about that last week, but the campaign's weird because it does a kind of Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Eight or Nine thing where it just kind of like forgets the last game and just basically is like fuck whatever that story was doing. Let's just do this now, you know. And the multiplayer is different because it's like it just abandons all the new game modes that the last game introduced. It's like gunfight, really cool addition to Modern Warfare 2019. Where is it? You know, it's like uh, ranked mode. Where it? Where, where's that? You know, all, all these different things that were introduced in Modern Warfare 2019 or like really front and center and heavily focused realism mode. You know, like where where are all these things? They're just missing. They got a couple new modes. They abandoned all the other modes from the last game. And then you got your standard fare, you know, team death match, domination, search and destroy, all that stuff. So I, I find that stuff pretty peculiar. Uh, and in a lot of ways to me, Modern Warfare 2 just feels like a lot of things stitched together that just so happened to make a pretty damn addicting and fun game. But there is a little bit of a, a lack of like a cohesive vision in terms of like making this a proper full-fledged direct sequel to what Modern Warfare 2019 was. So I do want to lead with that criticism. But with that in mind, I got to say, I'm really digging this game. I, I, I just find all the movement and the weapon balancing and everything they did to tweak this multiplayer feels so good. Like, during the beta, my criticism was you felt like a fucking brick moving around. It was a little sluggish and slow. But you slide that FOV up to 95, and you get used to it after a couple matches, and I don't know, all of a sudden it feels very good. And yeah, it is a little more tactical. Modern Warfare tries to be a little more tactical than Black Ops. Black Ops is definitely a little more arcadey, run, gun, shoot, have fun, dive, revive. Modern Warfare is definitely a little more like, whoa, 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 think about where you're going. Maybe take cover, do this. And sometimes I really hate that about Modern Warfare 2 because, or Modern Warfare in general because it definitely encourages camping as if that's not already a severe problem in all Call of Duty games. But whatever. you know, In, in this game, I don't know what it is, but they the special sauce is there. The balancing is just right with between the map design and, and the movement specs and the kind of nerfing of the slide feature and everything and the adding of the dolphin dive back into the, the, the movement the profile. It's just... This game just does it for me, and I don't know why. The guns feel great. All the guns I've really gotten 
all the guns I've been like really curious about playing with, like the shotguns feel phenomenal. The N4 is just as good as always. Uh, really great lineup of SMGs. I'm really enjoying the weapons, and it's just every everything is kind of coming together. The maps in this game are really good. I see a lot of people really laughing about that U.S.-Mexico uh, border level, uh, map because it's like so different and ridiculous, and I see people really like shitting on it. I think that map is fucking awesome. I've had so much fun playing it. I love playing the tunnel lane, and then you can play like the more tactical hide-behind-cover car lane, and people just lobbing grenades and blowing shit up. It's fun as hell. It's really unique. Uh, I wish we'd see more creative shit like that in Call of Duty, although I think the negative backlash towards this map is going to get it pulled from the game pretty soon, and then we'll see more generic three-lane knockoff Call of Duty maps that we usually see. But generally, the maps in this game are pretty damn good. There's only, like, one or two I really don't care for, and I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm just having a great time. They've completely revamped the, uh, the camo system, so it's not like get gold status on every weapon in the game to get the silver status on one gun. It's like, no, fuck that shit. It's like, you don't have to grind for 40 hours just to get a single camo. It's like really reasonable shit. It's like, oh, you want to, you know, you want to get the gold camo on your M4? It's like, okay, well, every gun has four special challenges, and the challenges are like normal things, like 50 kills with this gun or 15 kills in the back uh, or, or or 10 double kills with this gun. And you just do all these challenges, and they're kind of natural and fun to do. And then, and then you can unlock gold, and then once you try to get towards silver, it gets bumped up a little bit, but the the amount of challenges and the, and the requirements of the challenges are never such that it's like, oh, fuck this, that's too much work. It's fun, it's rewarding, and it it's made the game more addicting because it takes players like me who don't play Call of Duty religiously, who just play for a couple weeks or a month or so before they move on to something else, and it gives me that incentive to come back and keep getting that dopamine hit and level up and unlock new camos and stuff. And in a world where Call of Duty's prestige mode has kind of been nerfed because they do seasonal prestiges, which kind of suck, unfortunately, um, it's, it's added more ways to incentivize you to play because now you can focus more on camos and attachment unlocks because they've been made kind of they've they've been made kind of accessible to more casual players and i really enjoy that aspect of it the attachments are awesome i got this fucking grenade launcher on the bottom of my n4 and the way you unlock them is fun it's like oh try this gun you would have never played with get it to level 10 and then you'll unlock this gun and once you unlock that gun get that one to level 10 and then you'll unlock this attachment for the gun you actually want to use and it'll be fun and you get to do all these different play styles and it's like it really incentivizes you to fuck around with the sandbox and I'm just really enjoying that aspect of it. And then the thing I really can't get over is somehow beyond the the odds, they, they pulled off a really, really competent third person mode. Like what the fuck in the beta, the third person mode kind of sucked because whenever you'd ADS, you would zoom in like first person for some reason, but they fixed that in the full release to where you actually stay in third person the whole time. And I gotta be honest, the third person just feels like really competent. Like, I don't know, like uncharted online kind of like, just third-person shooter game, but with the like with the addictive quality of a Call of Duty multiplayer game. So I, I don't know. I'm like I'm really digging the 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 third-person mode. I, I really love the, the maps in this game. I love the weapons. I love the bouncing and the movement and everything's just kind of hitting right. I'm I'm thinking Modern Warfare Two is a pretty damn good game. Now is it Black Ops Cold War good? Uh, no, Black Ops Cold War is dude such an underrated Call of Duty considering you know. I haven't been that big into Call of Duty in a long time, but these new Modern Warfare games and Black Ops Cold War, they're kind of pulling me back in, man, because basically after Black Ops 2, I, I said goodbye to Call of Duty for a long time, and it's it's kind of good to be back. It's, it feels like I'm getting kind of reacquainted with a, a, like a, an old friend I've missed, and 
man, Modern Warfare 2, dude, I, I know, I know, it's Call of Duty, and it's like, oh, it's not cool, and it's like, oh, that's a game for, like, casual gamers or whatever, but it's like, dude, if you, if you had a good time with Modern Warfare 2 or whatever back in the day, and, and, and you kind of want to recapture that magic a little bit, I feel like you can get a little bit of it with this game, you know, is it, is it revolutionary, is it really a game changer? No, it's more Call of Duty, but is it a really well put together, refined, fun Call of Duty title? I, I really think so. Spec Ops is really cool. They've kind of totally overhauled Spec Ops, made it a lot more story based. The missions are really cool. I only, I've only completely gotten through one of the three, so I got, in full disclosure, I can't speak to the whole experience, but really enjoyed the couple times I played that one map or that one mission. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm high on the campaign. I, the visuals of this game are great. The gameplay feels great. The maps are awesome. The modes are pretty cool, though. I'm desperately waiting for some more content. Gunfight was really cool. Bring it back, you know. And then of course, gun game. The best mode. Bring back gun mode. You know, I'm sure we'll get these things over time. Definitely some issues with the game. Like, for sure. It's a little buggy. Lots of crashes, apparently, if you play it on PC. Not my problem. I play on Xbox like a normal human. Um, you know, but obviously that sucks. And then, you know, lots of really weird things. Like, I've been drinking Mountain Dew to get the double XP tokens and stuff. And it's so weird because when you activate a double XP, it works. But there's no timer to show you that it's activated. So you don't know how long you have before it expires. And one time I tried to activate it and it didn't pop the notification so i pressed it again and then it burned two of my double xp tokens when i only tried to use one and there's little things here and there they definitely need to fix they fucked up with the there's some kind of like tuning thing you can do with your attachments that they had to remove from the game to fix but obviously these things aren't ideal we want our games to release in a really full complete state but as someone who just enjoys picking up the game running around shooting some things and having a good time I gotta be honest, Modern Warfare 2 feels like a really good game, and I'm having a really good time with it, and I just, I gotta say, until Sonic Frontiers gets here, I, I'm more than happy to just get another match in, because it's addicting, and I'm, I'm having a really good time with this game. Definitely, definitely a huge step up from Vanguard last year, and uh, honestly, for as much as I respected and appreciated Modern Warfare 2019, I mostly only liked that game's campaign. But with this game, I like the campaign and I like the multiplayer. The multiplayer is good shit. Like, I'm I'm pretty into this multiplayer. So, here's hoping, you know, I, I it's call, it is Call of Duty. So, let's be fair. In a couple weeks, all these fucking kids are going to watch the YouTube videos and learn all the best gun builds and camping spots on the map. And they'll get really fucking sweaty and good. And then Season 2 will introduce weapon balancing, which will fuck everything up. They'll bring on a couple new maps that suck and take off a couple good maps. And it's Call of Duty. In a couple months, the game will be unrecognizable. Everyone will be running around as goddamn John Cena because $20 skins. And it's probably not going to be a great game in a few months. It's, these games change drastically over time. I don't know. Hopefully it stays good. I'm really hoping it does. I'm pulling for it. But... As of right now, in its launch state, I've enjoyed this game immensely, and I, I give it a big thumbs up. I think if you're an FPS fan, if you're a lapsed Call of Duty player, this is a pretty damn good one to, to give a try. But that's it for Modern Warfare 2. The other game I've been playing this week, and I finished it, We play, you know, my girlfriend and I sat down and played through all five hours of it, uh, is the Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope. This is the second game in the Dark Pictures Anthology, the first one being Man of Madon, which if you remember, and I don't know why you would, I played that about a year ago, talked about it on the podcast at the time. So this week I played the sequel, Little Hope. Uh, they're not a direct sequel. They're all just individual individual stories under this umbrella of the Dark Pictures Anthology. And um, Cronky gifted me this game a while ago for my birthday, I believe. And I saved it for Halloween. I knew I wanted to play it for Halloween, and I'm glad I did because uh, my girlfriend and I sat down and played this uh, over the past like two nights or so um, for, in celebration of Halloween. And 
had a pretty decent time with this. I gotta be honest, I, I think I liked... I had a good time playing it, but I definitely liked the first entry better. I liked Man of Madon a lot more. This game's a little weird. For those who need a little bit of um, a little bit of a a, a, remind, a catch up of what this is, so the Dark Pictures anthology are like these four or five hour kind of adventure based, kind of like uh, Telltale games or like um, Life is Strange kind of style games. And they're made by Supermassive. These are the guys that made Until Dawn over on PlayStation Four. They actually just released. Um, the Quarry. They just made The Quarry, which came out this uh, this past summer. All, all these games, very similar kind of gameplay style, genre, and all that. Yeah, I, I, I like these guys. I, I want to support them. I like I like their games. I like what they do. I, I kind of dig their style, and I've been excited to make the time to finally play more of their games, and so I was really looking forward to a little hope. I like the setting. I like the tone of it, but having played through it, I ended up kind of falling flat with this one, where I just I, I, it didn't really resonate with me. Um, you know, general synopsis, this, 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 this guy, this bus driver kind of ends up in this town called little hope and they gotta, they gotta basically, um, they get in a crash basically and the, the bus is unsalvageable. And so you're, you're with these, these passengers that are on the bus and you're trying to like get through this town and you like are finding like these flashbacks of like, uh, of basically like the Salem witch trial kind of subplot going on and, and like these ghosts and these figures are kind of pulling you into this narrative that of the, this, these witch trials that took place hundreds of years ago. And you're just trying to get out of this town and save yourself. And you play as like this party, this like school field trip where it's like a college professor, a couple students and, and all that. And it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's spooky. It's scary. It's puzzly. It's lots of plot twists and turns and things like that. And the fun thing with this kind of game is it's, you know, it's, it's choose your adventure kind of stuff. So it's, you know, the decisions you make, the ways you respond to things, your, your timing, your reactions, everything, it, it affects who lives and who dies and what kind of relationships you build and there's a lot of different endings and different possibilities you can you can get outcomes you can get because of the decisions you make so it's fun it's cool it's exciting and it's in my opinion a really fun way to spend like a halloween season is like playing these kinds of games but for whatever reason i just found the characters so insufferable that uh, my girlfriend and i worked really hard to basically sabotage everyone and get as many people killed as humanly possible and usually that's not me in games i'm usually the kind of guy in a game who's like oh my god i feel bad for the npc let me do everything in my power to save their life or to or to help them out and, and shit like that you know like generally i'm that guy with games but for i don't know what it was these characters were not clicking with me so i tried to get everyone killed as soon as i fucking could and uh, i don't know man some, some decent scares for sure a lot of good atmosphere uh, really cool setting and, and and definitely some really entertaining stuff. But overall, this game just it just really didn't do it for me. I I, I ended up just getting pretty sleepy every time we'd play it and, and being like, all right, let's get through this. I'm ready to go to bed. But uh, I am glad I played it just because I really liked the first one. And I think the next one in the series looks a lot better. Um, it's the one where it's like the fucking like uh, I don't even remember what it is. It's like you're in like Iraq or something. It's crazy it was like the ghost of some soldier or something i, I don't even remember but i, I want to play it. it looks cool i don't know i i really i really dig what supermassive is doing with these games and i want to be a bigger fan of them but especially with this one i didn't walk away super wowed and i know people really love especially until dawn their first big outing which was exclusive on playstation 4 and a lot of people really liked their most recent game the quarry which was on xbox I actually originally planned to play that for Halloween, but ended up just settling with this. But yeah, so I'm not giving up on these guys. I'm not giving up on these games, but this one in particular, meh. I just, I don't know. It was kind of unremarkable. I was a little unfazed by it. I just don't have too much saves. 
somewhat of just, yeah, unremarkable is the word, just a, a generally unremarkable experience. But I am glad I played it just to kind of get it off the list and to give myself that excuse to progress onto the next one, which I am confident I'll be a little more invested in. So that was a little hope, kind of a, a meh overall, but Modern Warfare 2 maybe is super good, maybe... So, guys, we're pretty far into the podcast. We haven't even gotten to the news. Let's just uh, let's just stop right here and uh, take our break, sip on our dues, Mountain Dews, that is, and, uh, and get into the big news stories of the week. All right, so let's jump into the news this week, you guys. I don't know what to make of this first one. You tell me. What do we, what do we, what do we got here? Deus Ex? Idos Montreal? Fable? All right, let's get in. Bloomberg. This story comes from Bloomberg, but via VGC, of course. A new Deus... <laughs> A new Deus Ex game is reportedly in early development, very early development, over at Eidos Montreal. That's according to Bloomberg reporter Jason Schreier, who claimed on Tuesday that the studio was also making a new IP and collaborating with Microsoft on Xbox Game Studios, including Fable. Embracer Group recently acquired a large part of Square Enix's Western development team for $300 million earlier this year, including Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IP including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, and Thief. This past Tuesday, Bloomberg reported that the Embracer Group had plans to close this former studio known as IDOS Montreal just weeks after it was rebranded to Onoma. This is the mobile team behind games like Hitman Go. In a, se- uh, in a series of follow-up tweets after the announcement, Jason Schreier claimed that Onoma staff would be moving to IDOS Montreal and would be provided unofficial update on what the studio's current project is until later on. In the day, they uh, posted an update. The CDE Entertainment Embracer Group, which houses the assets it acquired from Square Enix, has confirmed that some 200 jobs will be affected by the closure of the QA team and Studio Onoma. Quote, with the opportunity to form the 12th operative group within Embracer, we have massive ambitions across Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal, CDE, Director Phil Rogers said via GamesIndustry.biz. Quote, we see the growth opportunities and centered around our premier franchises in AAA games. Closing publishing QA in our Onoma studio was a difficult dif- decision to make, and we've taken great care and consideration. We greatly thank all of those team members who have contributed over the years and hope to find proper replacements replacement for them as soon as possible. And quote, Idos Montreal, which remains intact, canceled the Stranger Things-inspired Kids on Bikes game that was rumored more recently, he said. Um, it's now reported that they are working on a new IP with recent rescope. It was recently rescoped. A Deus Ex game that's very, very early in development and co-dev uh, partner with Xbox, including Fable. So this would mean that they're working on their own game as well as assisting, aiding, and support development on the, on the Fable project that is being headed up by Forza Horizon developer Playground Games. Embracer said in May that this was an. Embracer said back in May that they were envisioning releasing sequels, remakes, remasters, spinoffs, and more for Crystal Dynamics and IDOS Montreal IP that they had acquired. Crystal Dynamics announced back in April that the next Tomb Raider game had been entering development using Unreal Engine 5. And so that is the current state of the acquired former Square Enix teams now under Embracer Group. So, guys, where do we want to start with this? So, obviously, let's just get the, the shitty one out of the way. Onomo closing down really funny in a not haha way but in like a strange way that you would let the f- freaking company rename itself you'd let the dev team pick a new name help them establish a new identity and then be like and you're done you know so it's like this is a decision that must have been you know different hands different arms of the company kind of talking amongst themselves but not to one another another about the fate of this dev team 
really unfortunate to just see them get kind of shuttered all together, which is weird because generally, I mean, this is the mobile team arm of of uh, of IDOS, right? And normally with so many of these uh, acquisitions, there's like uh, an interest in keeping the mobile uh, team because so many of these publishers want to get into mobile where there's so much money to be made and there's like only so so many players who really know the market and how to get into it and, and, and compete with it well. So the fact that they would just shut this division down altogether without really giving them a fair shake is interesting. It must say a lot about what they thought about maybe what they were working on. Maybe upper management had gone through the studio and be like, hey, what what are we working on? What were your guys' ambitions before the acquisition? And, and didn't like what they saw and were like, hey, basically there's just no reason for us to hold on to this team. It's redundant. We could take this talent and spread it across other teams and, and get other projects further off the ground than, than just investing these other projects that this Onomo team is working on that we just don't really believe in. And so the good news is it looks like they're going to try to reshuffle all these guys and so they're not just straight up unemployed but nonetheless big news especially considering the fact that they're like yo uh rename yourself choose a new identity just kidding you're shut down and that's just the the really large peculiar part but uh, you assume these guys will mostly be supporting idos montreal as well as um crystal dynamics on tomb raider and other projects so that's what we can assume going forward with those guys, as unfortunate as that is for them. The other big thing, the part that's more pertinent to Xbox as uh, you know, as relates to first-party content is here we have another example uh, of, of one of these Square Enix, IDOS-type teams, uh, Crystal Dynamics-type teams, you know, basically, I don't know. I always look at the relationship between Crystal Dynamics and IDOS Montreal um kind of in the same way you look at like speaking of call of duty like infinity ward and black Ops or or, or treyarch right it's like yeah th these guys make the infinite these guys make modern warfare these guys make black ops but they both make call of duty and they're kind of like they're kind of like sister studios in a way you know i always kind of look at like crystal dynamics and and um and IDOS kind of in a similar way where there's a lot of like shared talent. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like camaraderie and like not camaraderie. There's a lot of like DNA cross between the two teams. They both had the same parent company. They worked, they would share an IP. They'd like flip flop on IPs and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. I just kind of, in a, in, a, in a way I've always seen them as kind of like sister devs of each other. So it almost, in a way, comes as no surprise where it's like, yo, Crystal Dynamics, you know, their old studio head is now leading up the initiative over at Xbox, working on Perfect Dark. And so now they pulled in, you know, he pulled some strings and got his old guys over at Crystal Dynamics to kind of be a support team for the initiative on Perfect Dark. And it's like, okay, well, when you spin it that way, I guess that story, like, it's kind of interesting. It's a resourceful use of game talent, of dev talent to kind of make this project and not have to staff up a whole lot just to then lay people off once the game's over just to move on to the next project and whatever. Like, it's it's cool. I get it. But now we see them using that model again with what I, I would argue is kind of like the sister studio to Crystal Dynamics where they're like, yeah, let's do some, like, for higher work with IDOS Montreal. They're kind of in between projects. We know they are their early days on a new IP that could be the next Deus Ex you know, uh, let's 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 see if we can get them help uh help out Playground. The guys over at Playground with uh with Fable. It's like okay, yeah, get the Canadian bad Tomb Raider developer guys to go make a go go work on Fable with the British guys. Like, I don't know. It's just um, I guess one of the things that like confuses me is it's, with Xbox. It's like, and I remember like Aaron Greenberg talking about this about like how you know in in the world of where video games are heading, it just kind of makes more sense to do these 
He's kind of like, you know, uh, th this team is in between projects, so maybe hire them as support work on this game. And because otherwise what these teams end up doing is, you know, a team of 80 people staff up to a team of 150 people, and then they push a game out the door after a couple of years, and then they kind of have to lay a bunch of people off as they kind of figure out where they're going to go with their next project. And it just doesn't make sense. And by being able to develop games in this way, it's more effective, more efficient, and it kind of helps people understand where they are in their careers and with their teams and where they need to move next. And it's just kind of a more efficient way to make games in a more healthy way, I guess, and for these companies to be developing. So I get that. So it's, it's not surprising that they want to do more of this when, when you see kind of like where they are with the initiative and crystal dynamics, but I know Montreal working on fable. It's crazy because these guys last outputs were you know, they did the Marvel guardians, of the galaxy game, which came out last year. They did some support work on Marvel's Avengers. They made Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which was the third in that new Tomb Raider series that a lot of people thought was not as good as the first two. I, I don't think it's as good as the first two, but it is it is good. Um, they also made uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. For them to go back to Deus Ex, which it seems like that's what they're doing, Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good fit for them. That's going to be awesome. Cool. More Deus Ex. But for them to then be also support on Fable with Playground Games, it's like, okay, now now you really got me with, 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 with Fable. It's like, you sold me on Fable in the first place because you're like, hey, the guys that make Forza Horizon, I know, Forza making, making a Fable game. Listen, these guys proposed the idea. They, they're really passionate about this vision they have and this concept for what they could do with Fable. And it's like they kind of sold me on like the passion and the vision these guys had for Fable. And so I'm able to suspend my disbelief long enough to be like, okay, let's see what these Forza Horizon developers can do with Fable. Let's see what these guys that make an open world arcade racing game, sim game, can do with a Western RPG fucking British humor adventure, whatever the fuck game that Fable is. It's like, oh, oh okay. But now you're starting to really confuse me when you add support like from Idos Montreal. It's like, yeah, let's get the Guardians of the Galaxy Deus Ex people to help us make Fable. It's just like, okay, okay. Now it's just basically like we need people with experience making games to help support this project. And listen, I understand that I don't know how games are made really. And it is conceivable that it's like, well, you have the core leadership and talent and like, you know, the head art guys and the head level design guys and the head like sandbox guys and the and the writers and all that. And they're from the core team. Like you could say the same thing with with the initiative in, in, in Perfect Dark where it's like you have those core guys that are like the visionaries, the people really spearheading, leading the project from the core team, whether it's the initiative with Perfect Dark or whether it's Playground Games with Fable. But then you have the support teams like Idos Montreal and it's like, you you know, people to develop the moment to moment game shit. You know, you just need people with good experience in the games industry to be able to do these things. You don't necessarily need someone with experience in the Fable universe. You just need game developers in a way, you know, experienced game developers. And so it is possible that it's like you don't really need someone who's made a Fable type game before. It's not like you need to go poach people from fucking... Um, Bethesda to come help you make Fable. It's like you just, yeah, anyone anyone with a decent amount of experience in this industry could help be support on what they're working on with Fable or, or in the case of the initiative with, with, with uh, Perfect Dark. I, I guess that is one way it could be viewed. It's just I don't have the insight to know if games are, are made in that fashion. So... I'm a little head scratching, kind of torn, confused on on this continued effort because it's just the nature of these mashups is just kind of befuddling to me. But at the same time, I I do think there is the potential. There's some 
some potential serious wisdom here where it's like, hey, this is a more effective and efficient and, and kind of humane way to make games is, is by not giving these people the promise of like, hey, you're a full-time employee of this team and rather just being like, hey, we need to staff up t- for a couple of years on this project. Here's some like for contract hire work for this team here, that team there. And so I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of of multiple minds. It's just, man, what are we getting with this fable project that like, they're just now bringing on like the guardians of the galaxy guys as a support team. It's like, I was kind of hoping we'd, we'd see this fable game by, by now, you know, by maybe, you know, maybe summer 2023, but now it's like, well, if you're just now bringing on a team like this to help you develop it, maybe you're really not even close to being in a stage where you're going to show this game and start talking about, a proper release or anything like that. So it's just a, it's a lot going on here, but nonetheless, we see Microsoft continue to employ the strategy. They, they seem to believe in it. They seem to think it's a really good way to go. Um, it's yet to been really, really proven because we don't have perfect dark or fable yet, but I think we're going to start to see more and more of this. And, and, and I guess Idos Montreal makes sense simply just in the relationship sense of like, yeah, they started with crystal dynamics Crystal Dynamics and IDOS have the kind of relationship, and now IDOS is going to come be part of this. And, and and what really ties the bow on all the weirdness here, though, I, I got to say as we close out the story, is that so much of the uh, uh, of the discourse when this deal was made with Embracer and Square Enix to acquire these developers was, man, these guys would have made a lot of sense at Xbox. $300 million, what a good get that would have been for Xbox to add IDOS and Crystal to the, to the Xbox team. And uh, now that seems like it's truer more than ever before because you got all those guys working on Xbox games right now, despite the fact that they are Embracer-owned teams, formerly Square Enix teams. So it's quite quite a funny uh, situation there. You know, like Tomb Raider would have been right at home on Xbox, obviously. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I, I don't know, I just Deus Ex kind of fits on Xbox. And I, I don't know why Xbox didn't just buy these guys, but I guess maybe they weren't involved in the conversations when they were up for sale between Square Enix. I, I really just don't know. Maybe Square Enix just hates Xbox that much. So like, we're not only not going to give you Final Fantasy VII Remake, we're not even going to give you an opportunity to be a potential buyer of these teams we're trying to offload. I don't know. <laughs> guys, next up, let's talk about a story from VGC. This kind of relates to something we talked about last week, so we won't dwell on it too, too much, but it is technically new information additional information where uh, Microsoft has failed to hit their internal target numbers for Xbox Game Pass subscribers in this for the second year in a row. Second year in a row, Axios reports that in, in a new financial filing made by the company, it gives information on the annual target tied to CEO Sachin Adele's pay, as well as that of other key Microsoft executives. Uh, in order for the target to be hit, Microsoft had to see a growth rate of 72.8% in Game Pass subscribers for the fiscal year ending in June 30, 2022. Instead, while the number of subscribers did continue to grow, the rate was only 28.07%, so a third of basically what it was supposed to be. Uh, This is the second time that Game Pass growth rate has failed to reach internal targets, and in the 2021 fiscal year, uh, the target was 47.9% growth, but the final result was 37.47% growth, which also shows that growth has slowed roughly 10%. In the previous year, the target was met. The target was 71% growth, and the result was 85.75%. Microsoft's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, explained earlier in the week that Game Pass has slowed down in terms of its growth on console. Quote, I've seen the growth slow down, mainly because, some of you, as some of you have pointed out, you've reached everyone on the console that was willing to subscribe. 
as he said to Wall Street Journal Tech Live, as we mentioned earlier in the show. And as of January 2022, Game Pass has over 25 million subscribers, according to Microsoft. The company recently claimed that part of the UK's investment is to- uh, investigation in total of the proposed acquisition of Activision is that its installed base of 63 million consoles. In the same interview, Spencer claimed that Game Pass is 10 to 15 percent of its overall revenue, and that the service is profitable for the company already. Ha! Wonder if Phil Spencer trying to trying to tell me I'm wrong. Um, this is kind of this is kind of big news. Um, just because not because that they failed to to meet that goal, but because of how large the gap is. So you look at that first year. Let's put this in a little context a little bit. That first year. You know, talk about maybe three years ago, 2019 or something. The target was 71% growth and they hit 85% growth. That's really good. But also, very few people were subscribed to Game Pass back then. Then you look at the next year. The target was 47.79% uh, growth. Much lower target. But they only hit 37%. So they missed it uh, by by a decent amount. Uh, despite the fact that the goal was so much lower. And then this year, you know, obviously by this point they had so many subscribers on Game Pass, and the goal was lowered even further uh, to, or so the the sorry the growth rate was bolstered all the way up to seventy two point eight percent. I don't know why they thought it would go up that much considering how tepid the previous goal was. I guess they're thinking about the pandemic, uh, but no, they they completely missed it by the longest shot. They had the slowest growth rate, twenty eight percent at this point now. I say slowest growth rate, but the number of subscribers could be substantially different because you're talking about a a growth of a percentage of subscribers where that subscriber base keeps growing and growing and growing. So even though the percentage is smaller, the number of subscribers could be quite more substantial compared to two, three years ago. So obviously, I understand that aspect of it. But what I want to focus on here is how far off these numbers are. It's, It's not normal for a company like Microsoft to be that far off with their targets. Usually the way these things work when you're talking about like your your financial filings, you, you want to target your goals to be something that is achievable enough that you can kind of bust it by a couple points, break it by a couple points so it looks like you're doing really really well. So generally, you know, if if you if you have a goal of 72.8% growth, you want to be able to comfortably hit maybe like 74, 75% so that it's like you're beating the expectation. This is how you make this is, you know, you can't you can't short it, but you know, ideally you want to be honest about it, but also you want really hard to try and not only reach that goal but beat it a little bit. And that's kind of how you make shareholders happy people. Um so to not only not reach the goal but to completely just devastatingly miss that number by only getting 28% as opposed to 72 is a massive massive miscalculation. And this isn't the only area in which Microsoft has made this. Microsoft has mostly just grown quarter over quarter over quarter. But this past quarter, they were talking about uh, this is something I heard from the Windows Central podcast. Uh, Daniel Rubino was talking about this host of the podcast about how uh, apparently with uh, Windows license um, income or revenue from you know OEMs licensing out Windows for their devices like Lenovo, Dell, XP, those kinds of guys. Um, that target was awesome. I think the target was supposed to be something like 14, um, or 15%. And it ended up, they came in way under their, their target. And it was, it was something like 6% under their target, which is, you know, that in and of itself is pretty big, you know, obviously, especially when windows and office are like your big selling products as Microsoft, but to, to know that they're making these kinds of 
calculations, miscalculations elsewhere in the company shows that a lot has happened financially over the past quarter or so that has just really thrown the company off expectations wise. And you would assume the response to something like this would be, okay, for now, for next quarter, we know to really temper expectations and understand where the market has headed. But man, it's just, it's not looking great for Game Pass in terms of it meeting its goals. And this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about is like, Listen, man, I understand Game Pass is great. As a consumer, I fucking love Game Pass. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you for a single damn second. I love my Game Pass subscription. I'm so happy I have it. I use it all the goddamn time. But if we're talking about, if, if part of this podcast is to sit here and analyze the news, you know, I'm looking at this financial filing and this is not good news for Game Pass. This is not something Microsoft would see and be like, oh, that's good. You know, we, we, we reached 28% when our goal was 72.8. Like, that, that's a pretty notable thing. And maybe for us as consumers, we're like, oh, who, who gives a shit? We just want to play Redfall and Starfield. Yeah, that's fine. But for investors, they're going to be like, yo, what's going on with this Game Pass thing, you know? And... This is going to put Microsoft and Xbox in a pressure position to start to really grow Game Pass in other places. And obviously, it looks like, you know, they, they talk about how it's really exploding on PC. And I think PC is really where they need to focus the majority of their growth right now. But it's also like, where else can you get this this product? You need to get this service in places like in TVs and on competing consoles. And that's another thing we see them trying to work on with, with uh, Samsung integration, stuff like that. But... Man, oh man, this is not a good look for Game Pass as Microsoft has to now find a way to try and really significantly start to grow this rate. And and I understand a lot of factors in that this year was an unusually kind of dry year for games, so a lot of people probably unsubscribed. Also, this year was kind of the first year we've had in a long time where it's kind of full swing back into normalcy, so a lot of people probably fallen out of gaming to an extent and started to go outside and touch grass a bit this year, so I understand that aspect of it as well. And then you also understand that next year is no doubt going to be a much bigger year we get with Starfield and, and Redfall and plenty of other games that are coming out that are going to make Game Pass a much more attractive proposition. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see next time these numbers are significantly higher than 28%. But, you know, all of this and a recession in a recession that's here, it's it's not turning out well for Game Pass. And, and the thing is, I hate to kind of blame the recession because I would think the recession would help Game Pass is that people would be like, hey, maybe I can't be going out every weekend out to expensive dinners with my, my girlfriend or going out to like football games and getting drunk at club club drinky time or something like that like maybe people are like I'm, I'm gonna stay home this weekend i got my xbox got my game pass 15 dollars a month it offers great entertainment value it's it's really kind of a a nice thing to have in a time of economic turmoil so you would think something like game pass would flourish but i don't know maybe maybe this is a sign of inflation in in, in the worsening economic conditions starting to negatively affect game pass i don't i don't know but certainly none of this is, is very good news. And so it is worth mentioning here that, you know, Xbox is going to have to start getting creative and, and really, really, really trying to push this in other places. Obviously, they're really banking on Activision and next year's big releases to kind of help bolster Game Pass. But um, for now, it's not great. But, you know, maybe this time next year we're talking about how, oh, man, we got Starfield, we got Redfall, we got every Call of Duty ever all in Game Pass, blah, 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 blah. And maybe all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Game Pass is booming. People are going, you know, people are subscribing. They don't even got people. Even fucking, you got fucking Amish people subscribing to Game Pass. It's too good of a value. Maybe that's the case this time next year. I don't know. But for right now, these numbers aren't looking too hot. All right, next up, guys, we got two big quotes I want to talk about from Phil Spencer. These are two different stories, two different quotes, but we'll get we'll do them back to back because Phil Spencer. The first one, uh, and these are both coming from the same place where 
Uh, Phil Spencer was on the Same Brain podcast. This is the I Justine podcast um, that she does, and uh, Phil Spencer was on it. I don't know what it is. Microsoft really seems to like I Justine and some of those big like kind of like uh, uh, I don't mean to be mean about it. Like kind of you know kind of like generic like content creators who just have like absurd fuck you followings on YouTube, but like kind of don't have a whole lot of like insight because they're really more like PR machines than they are like people, you know, like the I Justines and the Marcus Brownleys. I don't mean to be mean. Cause like, I, I, I like, I like these people. I grew up watching a lot of these people on YouTube and, and I respect them. But at the same time, like, you know, uh, but anyway, Microsoft seems to really like working with these guys, especially when it comes to surface, they do a lot of stuff with I Justine. So now I guess they're trying to push Phil and the Xbox team kind of in that direction a little bit as well. So Phil Spencer was on the podcast this week and Forbes reported on it with the following information. Phil Spencer keeps finding new ways and creative ways to express that call of duty is going to be sold on PlayStation, not be an Xbox exclusive as Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal continues to face regulatory scrutiny. So here we go, guys. Here's the, here's the thing people have been waiting to finally hear. The progression of Spencer's comments from the show were as follows. He said that, micro, or sorry, before the show, originally we heard him say that Microsoft would honor all current contracts between him and Sony Activision, which, you know, Sony said was inadequate. And then saying, then later on we heard him say that specifically he had signed a deal with Sony that Call of Duty would remain on PlayStation for several years past the original deal. Several turned out to be three, according to Sony, because they, they talked and whined and bitched and moaned about it. But now today on the Same Brain podcast with iJustine, uh, Spencer is removing any kind of limit entirely to the con- uh, to the to the deal, saying that quote as long as there is a PlayStation out there to ship to, our intent is that we will put Call of Duty on PlayStation. Period. So that's pretty definitive. That is the most definitive thing Xbox has said. If they do anything less than that, they are completely fucking lying at this point, because that is so definitive. There's no other way to read that. In fact, that is the most cut and clear I've ever seen Phil Spencer. Period. That's a really great quote. Because there's no other way to interpret that. As long as there is a PlayStation out there to ship to, our intent is that we will continue to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation. So, Call of Duty continues to be PlayStation. We can stop this conversation. I know we're all so tired of the back and forth between Xbox and PlayStation. And uh, this, this settles it all. And I can't help but feel like what Xbox wanted, what Microsoft wanted was, yeah, we'll keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for sure, for a couple of years, you know, for the next couple of years, no doubt, we rely on PlayStation to make this game profitable. It wouldn't make sense to take it away from PlayStation. We didn't, no one thought it was going away. I think the thing is, Microsoft didn't want to say we will always, without a doubt, forever and ever and ever put Call of Duty on Xbox they, or on PlayStation. They didn't want to say that so definitively because it's one of those things where as a company, it would behoove you to just you know, maybe not paint yourself into a corner, maybe not commit to something so far down the road that, you know, should the economy, should, should the playing field, should the market change in such a way that it now becomes beneficial for you to maybe make Call of Duty an exclusive game, maybe now you have that opportunity. And so I think that's really all it was. I think all along the plan was always Xbox is going to put Call of Duty on PlayStation no matter what. That's not going to change. But the idea was they just wanted to know that the, the the wording and the potential and the possibility was there where if for whatever reason they changed their mind or needed to make it a console exclusive, they could. But now it seems like, and maybe this is just from all the weighing down of Sony bitching and moaning to regulatory boards around the globe or what, I don't know, but it seems like it's finally got to a point of the deal where basically I, I read this as Phil Spencer's like, we got to get this deal moving. Fuck it. 
you know, and I'm sure this isn't the first time he agreed to this. This is just the first time he's publicly talked about it. But we're saying it here. We're saying it now. Call of Duty is on PlayStation as long as PlayStation is around. End of discussion. End of story. Case closed. And so there's really no other way to put it. And I, I guess this is just my my interpretation is simply that they had been worn down from all these regulations and all, all these regulatory boards, and they just want to make sure this deal goes through. So at this point. They're just playing nice and doing the things they got to do, whether it's some sacrifices up front in order to make it happen because they just want to ensure that this deal happens. And so there it is. There's the definitive proof. And we can stop talking about this because Call of Duty is in no way leaving PlayStation, just like Minecraft. Cool. The second big quote from the podcast, and this one was reported by VGC or relayed by VGC. By the end of 2022, five games will have been published on Xbox Game Studios, but only one of those Obsidian's Pentiment will be an all-new game developed internally. The other five, the others are the indie developed As Dusk Falls, a Forza Horizon 5 expansion, an Age of Empires re-release, and Obsidian's Grounded, which has been in game preview for two years, so it's only now coming out in official release capacity. Quote during the same Brain podcast, Phil Spencer said, one thing we've definitely heard loud and clear that's been too long since we shipped what people would have said is a big first-party game. We can have our excuses with COVID and other things, but at the end of the day, I know people invest in our platform and they want to have great games. Spencer went on to claim that in 2023, the lineup would be far stronger for Xbox, and well, the sort of pandemic caused production delays, which saw the original big holiday release of Starfield pushed back, were now in the rearview mirror. Quote, we're excited about 2023 and we've talked about games that are coming. Those games are tracking well and we're out of that COVID we're out of what COVID did to the production schedule as an industry we have fewer games this holiday than we've had in a while and when you think about the launches Call of Duty's coming God of War's coming which is great Nintendo has had a good year but in general I would say it's been a little light but I look at 2023 first of all stop Phil Spencer Call of Duty's coming God of War's coming which is great but in general I would say it's a little light Phil Spencer what are you fucking doing God of War no 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 you say Call of Duty's coming Sonic is coming. Come on, get it right, Phil. Anyway, he says, but I look at the 2023 lineup and there's a great lineup of games coming. And I'm excited about it. Getting real first Xbox first party games out of Bethesda, having them ship with Redfall and Starfield will be a lot of fun. Spencer went on to claim that Xbox was doing a lot of work on PC and that would also launch a big update for the Xbox app in a few weeks. All right. So cool little tidbit at the end there, but another one of those things where it's like, cool, Phil Spencer just being super candid and straightforward. And there's not, this isn't, this isn't like, whoa, late breaking news, but it is, it is um, assuring, right? To have a guy like Phil Spencer just be like, listen, man, I know it wasn't a great year. We didn't want it to go this way, but starting next year, we promise it's going to be good. The problem with Xbox though, and I know so much of this has to do with like production delays because of the pandemic and stuff, but it was finally like with last year, it finally felt like is this it? Are we out of the woods now with this just long drought of like, where are the games, Xbox? Where are the games, Xbox? You know, last year was like Psychonauts, Flight Sim, Forza Horizon 5, Halo Infinite. It was like, good, good. We're doing it. You know, the latter half of last year really knocking it out of the park. And then this year it was like dry, just fucking dry. And so, yeah, I, I'm sure starting next year will be a lot better with Starfield and Redfall and all that stuff. But really, I guess what I'm worried about is we don't really know what the slate looks like after those games. Like, presumably yeah hellblade where's that fable where's that perfect dark where is that like we know of these games but like where are they we just talked about the coalition they're not in any rush to get gear six out like what do we have like we know of a lot of games that are announced state of k3 you know all these things ever wild 
But when are these games coming out is is the kind of thing. And that's, that's the situation Xbox finds themselves in. But it is cool to get that confirmation from Phil like, hey, we know it's been a bad year, but the good stuff is coming. I believe him. I think next year is going to be a great year for Xbox. But I'm a little dubious about beyond 2023. And I guess that's what we're going to hopefully find out next summer or so. But for now, at least 2023 is shaping up. All right, guys, let's get into our last story before we get into the wrap-up. This week, VGC reports that Microsoft have invested in a... Ugh, I hate this one. Microsoft have invested in a Korean game company that specializes in blockchain technology. WeMade has announced a new investment round, saw it's received around $46 million in investment from a number of companies, including the Xbox parent company, Microsoft. Though it's not clear how much of the $46 million is attributed to Microsoft, WeMade stated that they had remarkably succeeded to attract new capital from foreign strategic investors in favorable conditions. WeMade CEO Henry Chang added, This is a meaningful investment by reputable financial and strategic investors that have proven track records. WeMade and WeMix will continue to exert efforts and attract more capital and actively invest and build a global digital economic platform. The company was founded in 2000 as a PC developer for mobile games as well as mobile games. And its most notable franchise is The Legend of Murr, a series of PC and mobile MMORPGs. According to the company, his recent Murr 4 has become the world's first well-made blockbuster blockchain game since the company entered the blockchain industry in 2018, though it's not clear what the metrics it's using to determine that are. We made recently launched its own blockchain uh, main net called WeMix 3.0, which is described as a platform-driven, service-oriented mega ecosystems. A main net is a fully developed and deployed blockchain. Fuck you. Fuck off. It also has its own NFT auction site, which it plans to introduce its own economic platform and support NFTs in DA. DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, collectively owned organization with no central authority. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm reading this shit. It's not clear how much Microsoft investment was made in WeMade and how it fits into the strategy, but it does appear that unlike that it will directly lead it does appear that it is unlikely that it will lead to any blockchain or NFT technology being included in its own games. For example, Microsoft head of Phil Phil Spencer, head of gaming publicly stated that NFT games feel more exploitative than they are about entertainment to him, adding back in August that he was cautious about pay to earn crypto gaming, saying that it creates a workforce out of its players. Spencer also said in regards to Mo Yang's statement that it would not allow NFTs to be sold in Minecraft, that Xbox Studio said it finds NFTs exploitative and that the current use uh, is in their current use, but that the underlying technology could eventually serve as a better purpose. So this is a don't don't freak out. I think this story has a lot to do with Microsoft being, you know, a tech company that has to, it would behoove them to just be like, oh, uh, new new tech trend with NFT stuff and blockchain gaming stuff. Let's just ignore it and write it off. No, that's how you end up with Windows Phone is by just writing off an industry you think you shouldn't get invested in and then getting involved way too late, unfortunately. I think this is one of those things where as a company, Microsoft just kind of has an obligation to throw a little bit of money, seed money here and there and kind of see what's going on and what's going around. And I don't think, you know, I think the fact that Microsoft has a gaming division is separate from the fact that Microsoft is investing in a blockchain gaming company. Uh, the two things are not related, although it's easy to see how one could affect the other. Uh, I think the plan here is clearly that they just want to kind of invest in one of these companies and, and learn about the industry and learn about the market and kind of see if it's something that they need to keep an eye on. And as Phil Spencer said, it, it's one of those things where like they believe they believe that there's potential in the technology, but not necessarily in its current implementation and gaming. And so, you know, whatever. Phil Spencer talks about both sides of his mouth sometimes a little bit here and there. So it could be it could be 
100% honest truth for from here on out forever and always. Uh, or it could be, you know, something that changes and maybe we get blockchain Halo games in three years. I don't know. Probably not, but it has to be mentioned because it is concerning. Obviously, Microsoft has thankfully been on the pretty, like, good side of history so far with NFTs. Um, they're not, they haven't been like Sega where they said they weren't going to get involved and then got involved immediately afterwards. Um, so hopefully this trend continues, but it is notable that Microsoft as a company is now investing seed money into companies like this. And it is quite possible that they have already invested money in other companies for crypto-based uh, ex technological experiments. But again, as, as a massive tech conglomerate, they owe it to themselves to kind of be a little all over the place and, and have their hands in, in, in the in the pockets of other businesses and be seeing what other technologies and industries are all about because that is how you stay ahead of the curve and remain relevant. And uh, so I, th I think that's really what this is a lot more than, hey, we're going to put NFTs in, in your goddamn uh, Pentiment DLC or whatever the fuck they want to do. <laughs> all right, guys, that's it for all the big news. Let's let's wrap up real quick with some Game Pass announcements. So from the Xbox Wire, available today, we have some new Game Pass titles coming and going for the first half of November, and they are as follows. Coming to Game Pass, available today, The Legend of uh, Ting Ding on Cloud Console and PC is a day one Game Pass title. Also, The Walking Dead, A New Frontier, uh, the complete season on PC, as well as The Walking Dead, uh, Michonne, how do you say that? Michonne? Michonne? Uh, Michonne on PC is available now. Coming soon on November 3rd, so the time you listen to this podcast, Ghost Song is on Cloud Console and PC. A lot of people talking about that game. Looks pretty interesting. Uh, also, Day One Game Pass game is Football Manager 2023 on PC, November 8th. Also, on November 8th, Football Manager 2023 Console Edition. And then on November 8th, we also have Return to Monkey Island on Cloud Console and PC. Vampire Survivors comes to console on November 10th. And on November 15th, we have two titles. Pentiment, an Xbox first-party title from none other than Obsidian, Cloud Console and PC, available day one Game Pass. And also day one Game Pass on November 15th, we've got Somerville. This is a title from the ex-developers of Playdead uh, games, the guys behind Inside and Limbo. This is their new game, Somerville, a very similar vein as those previous titles I just mentioned. Really looking forward to this game. I'm definitely going to give this one a go. Day one Game Pass title, really good deal for us Xbox users. So, Pentiment, Somerville, both on November 15th. Even more cool shit to be on the lookout for as far as all these big season releases go. But it's not all good news. We're also losing some games. So, on November 8th, both Football Managers 2022 and Xbox Edition of 2022 will be leaving Game Pass. And on November 15th, the following games will be leaving Cloud Console and PC. They are Art of Rally, Fey Tactics, Next Space Rebel, One Step from Eden, and Superland. So play those games, download them now if you want. Otherwise, you'll end up like me when I meant to play Plague Tale Innocence and didn't, and now it's $40. All right, guys, and our last wrap-up is the announcement of, you know, new month, new games of gold. VGC, Xbox Wire, whatever. The new games of gold are out now for the month of November. Remember, we only have two games a month now, not four. There's no more 360 games. So on Xbox One and Series S, console players can download Praetorians HD Remaster from November 1st until November 30th. Looks like a pretty bullshit offering. And then Dead End Job can be downloaded from November 16th to December 15th. So be sure to get those now. Download them or at least claim them so you get access to them. And that right there is going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. Next, we jump into the news, important enough news to talk about on the podcast, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to 
warrant their own discussion, its own discussion. You like how I butchered that? You like that? You like that? You like that? We got a handful of stories, so let's blast through them. First off, VGC reports Capcom veteran Hiroyuki Kobayashi is heading a new uh, game development studio from NetEast, Chinese developer NetEast, called uh, GPT Tracker 5.0. GP Tracker Track 5.0. What the fuck is that name? The Japan-based studio intends to create original games that can be adapted into other entertainment mediums, including films, novels, and mangas. Manga. Kobayashi first revealed in August that he had left Capcom after 27 years to join NetEase, which is China's second largest gaming company behind Tencent. He began his career as a programmer in the original Resident Evil games before going on to serve as producer in Capcom's horror series, Dino Crisis, Devil May Cry, Dragon's Dogma. He worked on Resident Evil live action and CG animation series as well. NetEase said after the announcement of GP Track 50 that they had brought together a group of experienced professionals from both gaming and television industries to develop quality content for users worldwide. Wow. Next up, VGC reports that Build a Rocket Boy, the studio helmed by former GTA producer Leslie Benzies, has announced that he has plans to open a new studio in France. The Montpellier studio will assist the development of Everywhere the studio's ambitious first game that is planned to release in 2023. The new Montpellier studio will accommodate the expanding needs of the globally developed team and become a, a talent center for developers in France, according to the statement by the developer. Next up, VGC reports Netflix has announced the acquisition of Seattle U.S.-based developer Spray Fox. Or sorry, Spry Fox. The development team uh, includes titles like Cozy Grove, Triple Town, Alpha Bear, and Road Not Taken has become Xbox's sixth in-house game studio. They are really going after gaming. Cool. Next up, Sega has published an updated sales list of the biggest franchises that have and have claimed that the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise has cleared 1.5 billion units. This number includes free, full premium game sales as well as downloads of various Sonic free-to-play titles that have been released over the years. While the franchise sold well at the peak of its power in the 90s and continued to have strong following despite disappointing commercial and critical reception uh, throughout the 2000s, the explosion of the mobile markets has taken the Sonic franchise to new heights. So unfortunately, a lot of that money has to do with mobile gaming, which is so sad. There's a whole generation of kids being raised on Sonic mobile games and live-action movies instead of really, really good games like Sonic Unleashed. That breaks my heart. And then our penultimate story here is as VGC reports, at long last, erotic thriller FMV game created by Sega has been recovered and shared online after 25 years. Sega was set to release The Sacred Pools in 1997, but ultimately chose to cancel the project after negative reception from the press at E3 96. However, the game preservation game Alexandria has now found and shared downloadable prototypes of the PC, Saturn, and PlayStation versions of the game. So you can play this erotica FMV Sega Saturn game from the late 90s, which is disgusting, but kind of cool. And finally, VGC reports that Henry Cavill, Superman himself, will step down from his role as Geralt, Geralt of Rivia following season three's finale of The Witcher series on Netflix. Netflix announced that Liam Hensworth, known for his role as the Hunger Games franchise, in the Hunger Games franchise, will take over his role uh, and play Geralt, Geralt in season four of The Witcher because no one will notice the difference, I guess, is what they think. I don't know. Guys, that's it for all of our news this week. Woo! That's a lot. Let's wind down with the comments. Close out the show with some comments. You know how it goes. You go to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Xbox on now has one of those handles, those YouTube handles. We are at Xbox on. Please subscribe right there. We're almost at 950. The goal was to hit 1,000 by the end of the year. 
doesn't look like we're going to hit that. We're going to get really close and then not hit it because you motherfuckers won't subscribe. Why would you not subscribe? Why would you not do it? Why would you not do it? Do you like to see me sad? Do you like to see me cry? Do you like to see me hurt? Do you like to see me wo wounded and vulnerable? Here I am lying naked on the floor. Illusions never change. This is how I feel. Lie wide awake. I can see the perfect sky is torn. Is that what you want from me? But nonetheless, you can leave a comment if you if your heart so desires. You can say something nice. You can write in. You can say something. You know, click on the latest episode of the podcast. Leave a comment in the comments description box, whatever, down below, and say, Jesse, great podcast. A little schizophrenic on the speaking. Maybe just trying to slow down and think about your words before you just talk and talk and talk. And I'll say, let me worry about the talking and you worry about the listening using the new Raycons, which you can get 15% off using the description code in the link below. Xbox on 15 for 15% off your first order of Raycon. Raycon, build it beautiful. Also, you can leave a mean comment. You can just say, like, Jesse, you fucking suck, bro. Luke's legendary pizza. It's legendary for a reason, you loser. I'm like, damn. But Mr. Malg wrote in about the Razor Edge, which I surprisingly uh, didn't expect anyone to mention. So, cool. Mr. Malg says, I forgot to mention that on the last podcast, but I'm also tempted by the Razor Edge. Normally, I like my phones to be all in one, but like you said, that drains your battery. The funny thing, though, is I remember that last year talking about a device uh, like this when they announced the G3X processor, uh, and lo and behold, it's been made. Well, Mr. Malik, that's really astute of you to have called that because I definitely don't remember that and would have never called it. So look at you. I need to get you on the podcast so you can talk about all things tech because you're clearly of a bright brain variety. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. I did put my $5 reservation down on one of these just in case I decided to go for it, but have not made the decision yet to fully jump on board or not. Uh, I'll make that call later on down the road. But yeah, I feel like there's got to be a bigger contingency of people out there like you and me who, who look at this thing and go, listen, playing games on your phone is cool. It is cool. It's a great feature. But there is this fatigue of like, I don't want to shut my phone off. I don't want to be like in an airport and just turn myself off from the outside world by being like, yo, um, you can't call me if you need to call me because my phone battery is going to be dead from playing games on my phone. And my phone's also going to be in game pass mode. So if you text me or call me or whatever, it's like, whatever, it's going to interrupt my gaming or I'm going to have to put myself on do not disturb. I just, I just like to have those experiences compartmentalized. It's a lot like why I play Xbox on my couch in front of a TV instead of playing awesome, epic, powerful PC games on my epic rig that has hydro cooling and, and turbo rigs and RGB turf and all that crap on it. It's like, I don't need that because it's like, bro, I, I have a day job where I sit in an office all day and hack away at a Windows PC, typing up emails and doing shit I don't want to do. It's like, I don't want to come home and sit behind a desk and hack away on a Windows PC, no matter how RGB that looks. Like, I like that compartmentalization of being like, hey, my PC is my productive device. That's the device I sit down where it's like, I'm working on a YouTube video, which is funny as hell because I haven't made a YouTube video in like eight months, or I'm working on, you know, learning something with these online classes I do on and off from time to time, or I'm working on my podcast, or I'm writing notes, or I'm doing research, whatever. I love my computer for that product productive work. But when I want to play a game, I don't want to do the, that same interfacing. I want to be able to sit on my couch and hold a controller and just like chill out and, and do that thing that you do on the couch, which is relax and have fun. And I feel kind of similarly about like using my phone as my portable gaming device, where it's like, yo, this is my phone. This device is for like doom scrolling Twitter and saying I'm going to read a book, but actually just doom scrolling Twitter or, you know, calling my mom or something like that. That's what my phone is for. Google Maps, Spotify. But the second you try to take the phone and make it your gaming device, it's like, eh, eh, I don't want to. Gaming is something special. I want to keep it uh, tied to these special devices that are that are meant with gaming in mind, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's a little too picky, but I feel like there is some logic behind that. And um, 
there's got to be enough of a market to where, you know, even if it is a little bit niche, that a product like this could not only exist, but to some extent thrive, considering, you know, assuming that they understand that it is a niche product and that it has to maybe be priced accordingly um, for a niche market, because I don't think this thing will have mainstream success, but I do think it can be successful if they do understand the narrow market that would, I think, accept a device like this. So glad you you think so as well, Mr. Malk. Thank you for writing in. Continue to have an incredibly large and, 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 and girthy penis, as we all know you do. Uh, next up, Cronky writes in regarding the whole Xbox Series S power debate from last week and says, I did not buy the argument that the Xbox Series S is holding things back. It might make things more work. It might make more work for developers, but only marginally so. Some gaming PCs are less powerful than the Xbox Series X, so the games are already have to run on less powerful hardware. The Series S should be fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like, most PC games respect, like, what, a, a 1660 Ti, NVIDIA, whatever. So, like, as I understand it, the Series X is more powerful than that by a lot. So that is a good point, is that, you know, most games are spec to PC, and most PC minimum specs are for, like, graphics cards from, like, six years ago. So... That is a pretty good point. It's like, mm, you want to tell me the Series S is the thing holding holding everything back? I, I also don't tend to really buy it, but I, I was just so, I'm so hesitant to say that because it's like, I understand I'm so tiny-brained when it comes to tech, but I don't know, man. Like, that that is a really compelling point. I understand a lot of the concerns, supposedly, with the Series S has a lot to do with memory, um, with, I guess, RAM, and or, or I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's, um, graphics ram or i don't i don't fucking know dude but it's, it's one of those things where like you look at the people that argument's coming from and it's like yeah maybe eh, you know you can't get your game to run at 60 fps on the series x maybe maybe you really shouldn't be talking about the series s being underpowered but at the same time i don't know dude the series s it's such a good device for the consumer and if it really is a device that can be used to a, a higher potential to get all the other games to run on this as well it really does so much for gaming accessibility for 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 so many other gamers that maybe don't have 500 bucks to drop on a ps5 or a series x and so i really i really do love and champion the series s but at the end of the day it's like i'm just not qualified to make a final you know a final call on this debate but i i do think that's a really good take there and a really good point particularly considering you know I, I look at pc games coming out today and they're all still basically asking for like minimum pc specs of like what a PC would have been in 2014-15. So that's a good point. And finally, our last comment of the week comes from none other than Headhunting Halo, Mr. Schizophrenic Headhunting Halo, which love him, gotta have him, best thing here. Game Pass pricing, let's talk about it. He says, I personally don't think game prices will affect the sale of, uh, of numbers they want. Game Pass is the best thing they have, and swapping in and out games if you don't have game pass you don't have an xbox and also so please don't change your main intro i know it's your podcast but use it from the way wait, 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 what game pass is the best thing ever always swapping in and out of games you don't have to game pass you don't have an xbox All right I, I think what you're saying here hunting halo is that you don't think upping the price to game pass will affect people willing to like jump on board and subscribe uh, correct me if i'm wrong but if, if that's what you're saying I politely disagree. I do think there is a, a point at which people would be like, that's too much money. You know, even if the value of Game Pass is so compelling, you know, it's like the the casual gamer is still only willing to pay so much a month to have access to a, a really compelling catalog of games if they're the kind of person who's just like, listen, I don't have that much time for gaming. And I think that's part of what 
we run into with gaming is outside of the core gaming demographic. A lot of people who buy Xboxes and Playstations and play games, it's like they play a couple of games or they only, you know, they can't commit to too many games. So even if the value of Game Pass is undeniably great, it does because of this thing of like, I don't know if I should, you know, like I, I got a buddy who doesn't play a lot of games. He doesn't. He has a Nintendo Switch. He uses it to play Pokemon and Animal Crossing. And he has an Xbox and he plays like Call of Duty once every two years on it. He really does not play his Xbox. He, I bullied him a couple years ago into getting Game Pass so he could play. I don't remember what it was. So we could play something together. And uh, it's cool. He held on to Game Pass for a little while. And eventually he's like, Jesse, I had to cancel my Game Pass because, I mean, I just don't fucking use this thing. And it's like, I understand it. It's like, for some people, it's like, no matter how good the value of Game Pass is, if you're just not going to use what the service has, it's not a good idea for you to invest in it. And so that's part of the issue is that, it's not that Xbox could ever get like 100% of their install base subscribed on Game Pass because there are a lot of people who buy consoles who just buy it so they can play Call of Duty once every two years or Madden every other year or something like that. And Game Pass doesn't really meet the needs of those people, those those kinds of gamers. And so that's why they have to start looking outside for PC and other, other places as well. But there is that limit, you know, and it's just like, like I think about Netflix. Netflix has gone up in price again and again and again. The first time I had Netflix, it was like seven or eight bucks. I think Netflix is like $12 or $14 now. I don't know. Luckily, my T-Mobile actually pays for my Netflix. If my T-Mobile account didn't pay for my Netflix, I would cancel Netflix because I don't like Netflix. There's no denying Netflix has tons of quality content. It has tons of garbage on too, but it has tons of quality content. And I think for $12, $14, Netflix is a good deal. I, I think for the majority of people, Netflix is a solid deal. You get your money's worth. It is a good service all in all. But still, for someone like me, I, I don't think Netflix is worth the twelve or fourteen dollars because even though it objectively has a lot of good content, I just don't have the time to watch all that bullshit. I don't. I don't want to sit here and just watch million like making of a murderer shows or like the fourth season of Stranger Things. Like I'm good. I got Hulu. I got YouTube. I'm good. I don't need that. And so it just it's just kind of one of those things where a way in which gaming is different from a way in which gaming is different from TVs. Like TV is so easy, just like casually watch a movie for two hours or pick up on a show here or there but gaming is a big commitment because it's like okay play this game that's 50 hours play this game it's 20 hours play this game it's 30 hours and you know it's like do you really want to invest in a system that a service that's like so demanding in terms of not only how much it has but in terms of what those things how big of products those those things within the service are and i think that's a little intimidating it's something that's not as plug and play and accessible maybe as is like streaming video content. And so I don't know. These are these are different things that affect kind of the allure of Game Pass. And, and it does have to find a sweet spot with its price because of all these factors, even though we know as avid Game Pass users that Game Pass could be Game Pass could be 30 bucks a month and it'd still be a really damn good value because I mean, dude, I, I definitely I definitely try out, out like at least three or four games a month on Game Pass. Whether I stick with them or not, that's a different story, but I definitely try three or four different games at least a month on game pass. And so, you know, I wouldn't have bought in all three or four of those games every month, you know, had I not had game pass. So the value is no doubt there. So I don't know. I appreciate the comment. You also said, uh, don't change your show. I know it's your podcast, dude. We did call duty zombies music last week for Halloween. We're back to halo. Don't, don't worry, baby. Uh, I'm loving cod prestige level one. Now 16th need to get 16th needs to get here before the pass in Warzone. Hope your week goes well. Much love. XOXO head hunting halo. Glad you're enjoying some Modern Warfare 2. 
Hope you're having a good week, and that extends to all of you guys. Hope you're having a great weekend, or a great week, and have a great weekend as well. That is going to do it for the Xbox On podcast this week. Be sure to like the show if you're on YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. Subscribe to the podcast. If you're on iTunes or other podcast services, please consider subscribing and, and leaving a five-star review. It would help a lot. I'm really trying to grow this, this bad boy. i, I got to come up with some creative ways to gaslight you guys so I can get some good five-star reviews out of you. If you if you really, But all joking aside, if, if you have the means to do so in the time, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate a little support and a little love there. But until next week, guys, please take care of yourselves. Play some Modern Warfare 2. Play some uh, Plague Tale Requiem. Enjoy yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy some time with your families. Pet your kitties. Pet your puppies. Take them on a walk. Eat some yummy food. Play some good video games. And until then, power your dreams. <laughs>